Welcome to the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I believe this is the third edition that we're doing. I apologize for the delay. Had some family things that I needed to take care of, so I appreciate everybody that's been sticking around for roughly the past 20-ish minutes uh, waiting for your boys to come on. But we are locked. We are loaded. We are ready to break down UFC 261 for you guys, headlined by three title fights. Cannot wait to break it down for you guys. And a brought a all-star crew for you guys to break this shit down. I couldn't do it any better than this, right? Everybody's been fucking anticipating this all week, and uh, as have I. You know what I mean? These guys have never been on the same platform at the same time, and I'm more than happy to bring these guys on at the same time to provide you guys content such as this. So let's not waste any further time. I'm going to bring them in one by one so I can introduce them first and foremost. Some of you guys just saw yesterday, my guy Cody Slaftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Slaftik on Twitter. Cody, what's going on? Dude, it feels like a long time no see. Whoa, man, I'm pretty sure we talked about these fights yesterday, but now we got more information. We got the weigh-ins. And, dude, absolutely my pleasure. You told me about some of the guests that were going to be on this show, and I knew I couldn't miss this one. To the fact that I'm sitting through missing, I can still watch a little bit, these PFL fights. My boy Tony Anthony Pettis is about to get his face boxed off, and yet I'm choosing here to be with you, the fans, and also this uh, absolutely star-studded panel of uh, characters. So, yeah, man, can't, get it, can't wait to get into it. Pay-per-view offering three title fights pumped up. For sure, for sure. And we can already see that that setup is looking so mint nowadays. So I'm glad that we're able to get that going for us. All right, let me bring in my next guest. We got my guy, Dan Levy from at Best Fight Picks and Half the Battle and After the Battle. Dan, what's going on, my dude? Chilling, man. Listen, I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. I've been sick as a dog the last three days, bedridden, and there wasn't going to let, there wasn't going to be a single thing that prevented me from being on here tonight with you guys, my brother, Man Pre, my longtime friend, Cody Saftik, obviously, Brett Apley. You already know the deal. So, man, it's uh, awesome to be here with you guys and especially on this fight card. So, let's do it, boys. We got three title fights. We got to bring out the big guns, and I couldn't have done any better than the three of you. Once again, let's bring in Brett Apley as well. Brett Apley, you guys know him from Daily Fan MMA. You guys can follow him at Brett Apley on Twitter. Brett, what's going on? This is the second time we're doing something together, and it couldn't be bigger than this, right? What's going on, dude? It couldn't be bigger, man. Three title fights. I love it. Just a great event. I got PFL in the background too, but it doesn't matter because I got Locke. I got my boy Cody Saftik. Daniel Levy, uh, it's a great night, gentlemen. I'm looking forward to talking fights with y'all. Fuck yeah. I know that most of us are probably going to be watching PFL in the background, just as I've been watching Bellator in the background for the other editions of the show. So I don't mind that at all. Let's fucking have some fun. But the main thing that we're here for is to break down UFC 261. Big card. It kind of falls off after the main card. I think we can all agree on that, even though we're hardcore fans ourselves. But there are still some good offerings throughout the card. So I can't wait to break it down for you guys. All right. Let's just start off. I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna wait any longer here. Let's just go get on. Get on going with the first part. Our first fight here. We got Ariane Carnalosi coming in against Nao Liang. We finally see Liang on the scales. She's the only one that requires the box of shame. Uh, she hops on the scales. She makes that 116 pound limit. And once you see this girl's face off, you see the huge height advantage for Nao Liang there. I believe uh, Tapology originally had her listed at five nine. She's definitely not five nine. And then we see her uh, up there. And UFC stats has her above five 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 six. And that sounds correct. And, especially considering how small Ariane Carnelosi is here. Uh, great fight. We obviously know that uh, Leung wants to bring the grappling advantage here. She wants to try to get this fight to the ground, grind her out, find a submission, and Carnelosi probably just wants to knock your head into the fifth row. Not to mention we got fans this time too, so they're probably going to get to go home with a nice uh, prize there. 
But I, I'm really very much looking forward to this fight, right? We got the under two and a half around that minus 160, minus 180 range. So we're expecting some violence here. That's exactly what I'm expecting. Uh, but there's too many question marks on Leong for me to truly go home and, and put some serious money on her. With that said, even though she's an underdog here, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a stab just to, for a prediction's sake. I think she is successful in getting this fight to the ground. I think she is successful in grinding this out and then eventually locking on a submission in the second or third round of this fight. Very little confidence. Cody, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, yeah, I think I got to go with Cardelosi. I mean, it's nothing against Liang. I just think that it's a difficult spot for a 24-year-old fighter. I mean, she has struggled in the past with grappling, and that's intriguing because her path to victory in all of her wins tends to be the grappling. Now, does she shoot from way too far out? Yeah. Does she set up her, her takedowns properly? No, not exactly. Is it a work in progress? No doubt, for sure. But uh, there's something that you can like out of there. She's a young, developing fighter. I just don't think that this is easy, the easiest matchup in Carnelosi, who is 0-1 in the UFC, but I mean, a debut against Angela Hill in a fight that she was actually a slight favorite going into. She's physically strong. She was just awarded a BJJ black belt. She trains with girls like Laura Procopio and Ketlin Vieira. I think she's just going to be too physically strong to get dragged down to the mat. And so now this goes down to that, you know, Liang's got that height advantage. She got like a, a six, a five or six inch reach advantage as well. But I mean, as far as her striking goes, it's just too robotic. I mean, Carnelosi should play that John Lineker type game plan, close the distance, let her hooks go, big power, back her up. And I think that it will be landing the more eye-catching shots for the judges. Now, again, it's women's MMA. It's middling women's MMA. And as a Chinese prospect, the UFC might want to get a victory here. So the play that I like the best here in this spot is the over one and a half minus 130. I think that regardless of which way it does, Carnelosa is probably going to take a round and a half to set up one of those big power shots and break Lang. Lang's also never been knocked out. All of her losses come by submission. So, yeah, if Carnelosi, not really a grappler traditionally as far as her fights goes, doesn't get this thing to the ground and submit her, doesn't knock her out. We're going to bank some time anyway. So the play I like is that minus 130 over one and a half. The official play would be Carnelosi, but look at the money line here, guys. Are any of us confident at this price? <laughs> uh, probably not. So a pass might be in order for a lot of people as well. Yeah, uh, Liang is a part of that next wave of Chinese athletes that we're getting from the UFC PI in Shanghai. And you would think that they try to, you know, uh, set them up here to get the victory, especially under a card where you got uh, Wiley Zhang headlining the, the, the card here. Uh, but this seems like a tough one on paper. Dan, how do you see this one going? Yeah, no, I mean, I think Cody had a fantastic breakdown there. Look, uh, you guys have heard me say in the past, uh, you've, you've heard me... Uh, call Sumu Darji the Chinese Connor and I kind of view Na Liang as uh, the Chinese Jillian Robertson because basically what, what's going to happen here is there's zero striking threat whatsoever and if she can get you down get your back and choke you out get you some kind of submission the arm bar whatever it is props to her but aside from that what's the path to victory and you know with Cody bringing up the fact that Carnelosi was recently promoted to black belt even though I don't have any video evidence of what happens if people take her back or what happens if she gets taken down that at least gives me some kind of faith that like I like I know for a fact that Carnelosi is about to come out here and throw bombs on this girl yeah. and I've seen I've seen Natalie Yang not react well like there was this fight she had against Juliana Velasquez and Bellator and yep. When I tell you that I'm shocked she got to the UFC, and then you guys remember Maria Agapova, the girl that lost to Shayna Dobson. Maria's out here finishing um, Na Liang. And what I'm trying to get at is that Cardelosi fought pretty competitively with Angela Hill. Like, guys, yeah, maybe we're picking against Angela Hill against the top 10 fighters on the planet, but we're talking about Na Liang here. And, I mean, uh, this girl, uh, Soriso, that's her nickname, uh, Ariane Carnelosi, her, her – 
pro debut was against Amanda Reebok. So it's just a different level of competition here, man. And also, you see those pictures on Instagram. Uh, she's been taking her Flintstone vitamins every single day. I think she's in there with the right people in the gym. You know, the training partners Cody mentioned. And in addition to that, she's also a former training partner of Jessica Andrade. And you already know with that style, in this level of a matchup, power will override technique and the funny thing is that there's not even technique in the striking side on the other on you know the opponent to worry about so in this matchup it's power versus uh desperately dive for takedowns and if you don't get them you're fucked so i mean dude i got carnalosi here look i understand not wanting to lay the line but i don't i don't agree with the take that the line is wide i believe the line is accurate so if you feel like there's no value then pass but me personally i ain't taking a shot on the dog here yeah, this is an intriguing one, just so we can truly see what Leon brings to the table here, right? Uh, we've seen her fight Juliana Velasquez. We've seen her fight Maria, Ag Aria, Maria Agapova, but she's seemed to make some improvements in that amount of time. But we can't truly say, say that until we see her inside the cage, and this is a very tough test for her in the UFC. Brett, how are you seeing this as like from a from a betting perspective, but also you're the, you're the de resident DFS guy here too. Is this a fight that people should be targeting in their slates or in their lineups? I mean, yeah, I think that it is like, it's kind of crazy that this fight is minus 245 ends inside the distance and Carnalosi has, I think the second best inside the distance line on the entire card. So I'm very interested in the fight on DraftKings just because I don't know, it's the first fight of the night. It's kind of sneaky. You know, these fighters haven't really fought in the UFC very much. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have a ton more information to add, but yeah, Liang, she's 15 and four. She's fought 19 times. She hasn't won by decision one time. As far as I can tell, she's going to go out there and try and get takedowns early. And she's kind of a front runner. She's either going to demolish you because she's much better than you on the ground, or she's probably going to blow up and most likely lose in the distance. I feel like we got it breaking up a little bit. I haven't here, really seen much tape of Carlos Brown. And uh, sorry, is my Wi Fi going out? It, just a little bit, just a tad. I'm and sorry. I feel like you're on a bit of a um, delay, too. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say we're all making the same educated guesses, right? We think Carnalosi's physical enough to keep the fight up right we you know we respect her pedigree in jujitsu so we believe even if Liang does get the fight to the ground it may be difficult to finish but there, it's a rare time when you know if I, I haven't seen a fighter's ground game and then i finally see it in the ufc and i'm like wow that was a lot better than i expected it's usually a, a lot worse than i hoped for a lot worse than i expected so it leads me to believe you know there's still a possibility for Liang to get this fight to the ground early and have success you look at her combine footage and it's basically a high, highlight reel of ronda rousey i mean these, <laughs> you know they they know what they're trying to set her up as that's what they want her to succeed as i think karna lossi gets it done but from a DraftKings perspective yeah i would personally be willing to take ch chances on liang just because she's has such tremendous upside and is also going to be pretty low owned all right. It seems like I'm the only one on Liang here. And again, it's very low confidence. Am I really going to go out there and put plus 180 on Liang? Probably not. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, Jeff Molina against, uh, I've been trying to nail this guy's name, Auri Kalang. 
I believe that's how it goes. Ari Kalang, um, he's going up against Jeff Molina here. The the line is minus one uh, mi minus one ten on either side. Uh, a lot of question marks uh, surrounding IRE as well, right? It's the same thing for all the Chinese fighters that we have on this card, except Wiley Zhang, who we've been seeing in the cage for the last five six fights, and of course she's a champion now. But with Ari, it seems from what the little tape that I was able to do on him, seems like he has decent uh, distant striking. Uh, he has some good power, but I think that Jeff Molina might be the more well rounded guy here. Cole how are you seeing this one? Yeah, okay, I agree. I think this is another fight that it's going to be tough to get a, a gauge on just because you don't really know full, what fully to expect. Jeff Molina, we know he's 23 years old. He's a young go-getter out of uh, James Krause's camp, Glory MMA and Fitness. Once upon a time, he used to be trained under uh, the Kansas City Bandit himself, Jason High. And, you know, you, you see he's a work in progress. You know, he had a decent amateur career, but he starts off his pro career one and two, you know, going through the motions. And at some point, he does link up with James Krause, and that's where you see the improvement. So, I mean, the biggest takeaway that I had from this 2020, you know, uh, James Crow's Glory MMA and Fitness Awards show thing was he won most most improved on the team and best teammate, right? Two awards that really coincide with the fact that he is a go-hard. He's someone that's in the gym all the time. He's working the best that he can. And one thing that can, you can really take away from James Crow's the guys that he works with it doesn't seem like necessarily on paper's most talented bunch. You know, he's got the Zach Cummings of the world. He's got the Julian Marquez of the world. I guess Grant Dawson seems like a pretty talented kid. You know, but again, Green. It's that he can take these seemingly mid-level athletes, mid-level talent guys, and really put the best game plan forward. Molina looks like he's pretty quick on the outside, versatile, good striking. I also like his grappling. I think that he's pretty opportunistic with the submission. I don't know that his wrestling's strong enough to, to consistently get this fight to the ground. And with Aori, the Mongolian murderer, I mean, I think we kind of all can gauge what we're going to get out of him. He is low output, but he's got a ton of power. He's probably going to march him back. He's probably going to, again, land those more eye-catching shots. But I can really see Molina staying to the outside, using the speed, using the uh, the size of the cage to his advantage, and just outpointing this guy. Stay to the outside, outpoint him. Beat him to the punch, move around, outpoint him. I mean, Aury doesn't really have the, the biggest names on his record. You can go back and look, look at a lot of that footage. But, you know, he hits the... When he hits this kid, I'm not so. And another thing, for young 23 year old, he's, he breaks his foot in the first round. He's pretty open about that. Broke my foot. He's able to kind of mentally get over that and fight through. It's all good learning experience stuff. So he did have a fight in the UFC booked against Zaruk Adeshev. Pulls out because he gets the Rona. Don't know if that negatively affects him. You know, he's kind of that all of a sudden his lungs are at the same capacity. Did he have to take two weeks off? Was he not training? Physically peak. He's got to get right back in camp and, and get right back at it. I, I don't know any of that stuff. Again, Apple made a great point on the last fight. It's breaking in here. You're, you Seems don't like have a ton of footage to go off. You don't have high-level opponents to really. Oh, geez, this is the cursed episode. Started off with a car accident. All the stars align and the audio it keeps fucking up on us. But you are you are uh, getting back into it, though, so you can wrap up here. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, I just think it matters who's watching the fight. I think we're making educated guesses here, but it's going to come down to the judges. I think Molina's going to stay on the outside. He's going to land probably more sink, more strikes. He's going to be a little busier. He might land some of the better strikes, but the power is going to go towards um, the Mongolian murder, Aori. He's going to probably be moving forward. He'll probably have that forward pressure. So it just depends what you're scoring. I'm going to go with Molina. I'm going to again go with overs. This fight to go the distance is like minus 210. So again, it's not a great price for a fight goes the distance. But the way both these guys fight, the way that they both show off some durability, I can see this one banking rounds. Official pick for me is going to be Molina, Molina by decision. Just not a whole lot of confidence there. Dan, how are you seeing this one, brother? 
Yeah. Um, listen, man, I, I couldn't have said it better myself on this one as well, because it, it, it's one of those situations where it's like, what do you favor more? Do you favor the more experienced and probably the more physical guy in Iori? Because one thing about Molina, obviously, you got to respect the technique, uh, switches stances, the calf kicks, the knees up the middle. Uh, he's just got that Latin warrior heart about him. He's got that spirit. So I enjoy watching him fight. But I know for a fact, man, that um, some guys are going to beat him just by out-physicaling him, man, just by going out there, being too big for him and bullying him around. And so it's like, what what do you favor here? Do you, do you, do you go with the technique of Molina, you know, um, his, his spirit versus Iori's? He's got like more than twice the fights of Molina. He's got that experience. And he's definitely the more physical guy here. But I will say this, the striking of iori was pretty damn sloppy man so i definitely think that if iori doesn't go if he doesn't come in here with the right game plan to you know pin him up against the fence get him tired then start getting him to the mat and just work him from there and if he wants to you know show off his striking against molina well that that's a path that's where molina is going to come out here and win this fight probably by unanimous decision but if iori is able to take him down I'm not exactly sure if if Molina's going to get held down or if he's going to get back up, if he's going to throw up submissions. Like so I just got so many questions here, yeah. but but at the end of the day, um I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong, but I guess I'll go with the technique of Molina just cuz I enjoyed watching his fights more, but uh I don't know. It could go either way for sure. I definitely don't feel as bad anymore throughout this fight week having as many questions as I do about these first three fights because it seems like you guys have the exact same feelings about it. So I'm glad to hear that. Brett, are you going to continue this? That are we just are we leaning Molina due to the fact that we just know a little bit more about him? How are you feeling about this one? I, I think that's fine, and I agree with a lot of the sentiment. I mean, I have a pretty good read on Molina. It's just my read is that he's like the uh, the average dude in the gym. I really don't see him. <laughs> I yeah. really don't see him. You know, climbing the ranks of the UFC, and I, I hope he does. I hope he proves me wrong. But it's like you know, you hear Laura Sanko talk about him, and it's not like wow, he's this killer, this stud. Just, demon she's like he's so cute i would pinch his cheeks like <laughs> it's just he's he has some skills but it the physicality is not there i completely agree with dan so i'm very very confident that that is going to be a hindrance for him as far as uh he lang um you know i still would like to learn more he seems more physical than melina that's for sure but i, I don't see a deep wrestling game i don't see a deep striking game and that leads me to believe Maybe Molina, just his training camp, his his skill set is enough to get by Keelang here, win a decision. But I wouldn't be surprised if the physicality is kind of what pushes Keelang over the top in this matchup, or at least something that really hurts Molina in the future. Yeah, I'm definitely on Molina here as well, too. But this is a fight that I'm just going to sit back. Let's let's gain some data on these new Chinese fighters before we truly go out there and start uh, laying some money on them. It seems like we just had a big upset in PFL. Uh, Labs Farmer goes out there and bursts pretty much everybody's parlay. So uh, RIP to everybody's parlays out there. Uh, but good good work for Bubba Jenkins there. Let's keep this thing moving along, though. We do have uh, the last of the trio of UFC debutants coming from that uh, UFC Shanghai PI. Uh, we got Zuron going up against Rodrigo Vargas. This seems like the most uh, the fight that is most set up for the Chinese fighter to win, at least based on the odds here. Dan, do you agree with the odds? How are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, do I agree with the odds? That's that's the biggest question, right? Because it's <laughs> like that's what I'm trying to figure out. Because this is one of those fights where it's like, uh, Shu Rong, you've showed me some good stuff on the regional scene. 
let's just see how you perform under the bright lights. That's what I'm very curious about because it's funny because like if, if you would have told me that, hey, this guy's making his debut and and that got finished by Wuliji Buren, I'd be like, oh, okay, let's look to fade him. But then you got to take into consideration that, you know, he was like 17 years old. He was just a kid. Not to excuse that because, I mean, you didn't see my boy Max Holloway having any embarrassing losses when he was like 19 years old or anything like that. So, you know, it's still, but he's come a long way. He's definitely evolved. You got to take note of his progression and, and he's an exciting guy, man. He comes out here. He's got some highlight reel finishes. Also, I've seen him mix in the takedowns as well. So he's developing a well-rounded skill set. And he had that fight with, um, I forgot what that Brazilian's name was, but a, a Brazilian with a lot of experience. And, you know, that's one of those kind of fights that you need to get into the UFC. So I think he's coming in at the right time. And basically, this opponent, Rodrigo Vargas, this is just going to let us know exactly where Shurong is. I mean, remember the kind of hype Brock Weaver had coming into the UFC <laughs> off the tender series? So it's like, hey, here's Rodrigo Vargas. Let's see what you got. So, hey, Shurong. Here's Rodrigo Vargas. Let's see what you got. Look, as far as Vargas is concerned, um, I do admire the fact that, you know, his first UFC fight got completely dominated on the mat. Next fight goes out there, you know, shows improvements. Not granted, completely different level fighter, but at least it was like, hey, like I made a point to improve, you know, on the wrestling side. Now I want to show off. And, you know, he did do that stupid uh, and very dirty illegal knee. And honestly, that's not the first time that's happened. He's got a reputation for being a dirty fighter. So don't be surprised if you see that again. Um, this is the finished product of Rodrigo Vargas. You know, he's 35 years old. Yeah. He's not going to get any better than what he is right now. So what you see is what you get. I got to go with Shu Rong here, man. Out of all the Chinese prospects that are making their debut on this card, I'd say that he's the one with the highest ceiling. So I'm going to go with him here, and uh, let's see how he performs. Uh, you know, also, I want to bring this up. Something I forgot to mention about uh, Liang and Iori and also Shurong is, you know, this is their first time making the flight to the States. And that that first time making the flight to the States, you like you got to get used to the shit. Like, for example, you see Wiley Zhang and like, you know, uh, when she was in China against Jessica Andrade, she finishes her in under a minute. She comes to the United States. She fights Daniel Taylor's 29, 28. So that flight takes a lot out of you you look at Li Jing Liang I mean when uh he's in China he's out there knocking out Zaleski when he's in the when he was in Australia Jake Matthews looks like a for, like a future world champion against him yeah. so it's one of those things where it's like um they need to come to the United States a lot earlier they need to uh you know plan these things accordingly and I think someone like Wiley Zhang obviously she's the champ you saw her fight with Joanna that was in the states she's made those adjustments what I'm trying to get at is Liang, Iori, and Rong. This is their first time making the trip here, and um, I'm just very curious to see how they perform. I don't care what you tell me. There's no way you can tell me Zhu Rong was born in the year 2000. There's, there's no way that's <laughs> correct with 20 fucking fights. Brett, how are you seeing this one? What, what were you able to decide, dissect from the tape and your research uh, going into this fight? Well, it's funny. The two main talking points I, I had in my article about this fight was, look, we don't know, you know, Zhurang's never made it to America. It's kind of an experience thing for him. And two, there's no way he's 21 years old. I, I Looking at his picture, I mean, it just, it, he, he, looks, he looks like, you know, 28 years old. He's fought 20 times. He looks like he's seen and, some shit. <laughs> yeah, and he's got some Song Yidong vibes, you know? Yeah. So, I, but as far as tape, I mean, look, I... I still coming from the WLF organization, I just don't think is like respectable enough competition for me to be able to tell exactly how good a lot of these fighters are. And, you know, 
can Jurong strike a little bit? Yeah, he has some power, but I, again, I don't see a deep wrestling game. I don't see a, a ton of volume in his game. So from what I can tell, he's probably reliant on damage and he falls into the same category as a lot of these other damage based fighters. And they tend to be overvalued. I tend to be, I tend to underrate them or be underweight to them compared to the public across the board. So could he go out there and knock out Vargas? I think so. Could he actually be a good talent? Yeah, it's possible. Vargas looked so, so bad in his UFC debut. Yeah. And then he looked good against Brock Weaver. But, I, you know, I don't know. People are saying, you know, well, he kind of destroyed Brock Weaver. And DQ, DQ, he destroyed Brock Weaver. The fight didn't even last a full round. Like, I just, I... I and I've seen a lot of people on Vargas this week as an underdog because he has a wrestling game and he has experience. And maybe that is enough to beat Zhu. But there's also a chance that he is still kind of the fighter that we saw in his UFC debut, just not strong in any aspect of the game. The physicality, the power, the striking of Zhu may be superior here. We talked about Carnalossi too. Zhu has the best inside distance line on this entire slate. Like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. So, I mean, I tentatively lean towards you, mostly hoping that the aspects of his, his game that I haven't seen are quality, but this really wouldn't surprise me if uh, you know the wrestling wasn't there and the experience of Vargas was enough to make this competitive at least. Yeah, I, I do like the fact that you said that Vargas, we didn't see the full round of him against uh, Brock Weaver last time around. But as Dan had pointed out, I was impressed with the fact that he actually used the wrestling. He's like, if I'm going to go out there and get grapple fucked and lose that way, let me try to do that in my uh, fight, uh, my next fight, so I can try to save my job. And he might have to look to do it here against uh, Zhu Rong as well. We don't know to the fullest extent of how Rong is able to deal with a, a, an opponent like that, right? Um, there is the one guy that uh, Dan was talking about that is probably the most notable win was uh, Marcio, Marcio Andrade, who was 19-4 and four at the time, and that was uh, the fight that happened back in January of 2019. But, like, you look at the records of the other guys that he's fought. He was 14-3 and three when he fought a guy that was 0-4. Like there's just too many question marks and too much like dilly dallying over there that I just can't get a full uh, you know uh, uh, prediction on this guy. Not to mention he's like two minus two fifty. I'm not willing to show out minus two fifty on a guy that we just don't know much about. And there's been a lot of cases in the UFC debuts like over the last couple of months where these minus two hundred debutants just fall flat on their face, right? Robbery or not, Godina loses last week, and then a lot of people are crying because their parlays are busted, but there are these question marks and that we have to really worry about. Vargas obviously knows he's on the chopping block at this point in time. So who knows what kind of game plan he's going to bring into this. And he knows he's fighting for his, he's fighting for his job, right? Uh, he does have some solid hands. That's pretty much what has gotten him to the UFC, but now he needs to round out his game to truly go out there and continue to, to, to save his job. And hopefully he can do it this weekend. But I still do think that we do see Ron come out on the, on the winning end here. Um, there, there's something that me and Cody talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, going up against that, the Carlos Alberg and Kennedy and Zetch cool fight where you know that they gave Zhu Rong's coaches a list of guys and they picked Rodrigo Vargas and they're like this guy's probably the easiest one that we're going to get and let's try to get this W but what happened to Carlos Alberg? I got fucking knocked the fuck out and it doesn't matter if you got a list of guys apparently you picked the wrong person and that might be the, the case here for Zhu Rong as well so I'm keeping my money far away from these first three fights let's get some more data on these guys before we truly go out there and start uh, making some money off of them Cody I'll let you wrap this uh, this fight up uh, how are you seeing it are you as sketchy as I am regarding it how do you feel about it 
Well, yeah, real, I mean, quick, real quick, so it's not to cut off my brother Cody and not, not to debate with you either, but when you make the comparison of Shu Rong to Carlos Olberg, I mean, Olberg's was like 2 and 0, 3 and 0. Of course, this yeah, kid, yeah. This kid, Shu Rong, 17 and 3. Uh, yeah. it's, just, it's just a completely different level of MMA experience, I, even, even if his record is batted. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. There are different circumstances, but. There are some similarities as well, so I expect Zhu Rong to make a better account of himself inside the cage than Carlos Albrecht did that night. Cody, go ahead and uh, with this breakdown. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Listen, Zhu Rong sounds like uh, the bad guy in a remake of Kickboxer, right? Who better than Zhu Rong? But it's interesting <laughs> here. The UFC is giving you three prospects from the UFC Performance Institute China, right? One of them's coming in as a 2-1 to -one underdog. One of them's coming in as a 2-1 to -one favorite. And one of them's coming in as an even money play. So there's a little bit of something for everybody, right? One of them's expected to win, one of them's expected to lose, and one of them we're not 100% sure of it. Zhu Rong seems to be the fighter that everybody likes. Now, hard to gauge, yeah, absolutely hard to gauge, because he's 21 years old. But as Dan mentioned, dude, 17 and three, and he's only been fighting professionally since 2016. So in five years, he's got 20 pro fights. You know, that's important. And as far as guys with lackluster records, I agree. Would you bring up that Marcio Andrade's 19 and four? He also beat Alison Barbosa, former uh, Jungle Fights title challenger, 18 and five you know, these guys are black belts these guys are you know physically strong brazilian guys coming over to lose and they do lose but that's all great go growing experience but uh straight up man brett Apley nailed it 100 when he made that comparison to song yudong right song yudong was 19 years old when he debuted in the ufc nothing was expected from him in fact if you looked at song yudong's record just one year prior he lost to renat ondar who was 0 and 2 one year prior to making his debut in the ufc but all of a sudden it's like Oh man, he does have a lot of experience for his age. And they match him up accordingly against lower level guys, and he shines against them. He wins that initial fight with Baccarat Candanar, who we never really saw ever again. But then beats Felipe Laranches, who is way more experienced than him, right? Had a lot more experience. Goes against the win. Vince Morales, Alejandro Perez. But you see that growth in real time. Zurong's the same thing. You look at his regional show footage, it's like the kid looks good. It looks like his striking's developing. Takedown defense leaves something to be desired for sure. And you see that with a lot of young Chinese fighters. Whereas Song Yudong went to Team Alpha Male to shore it up, this kid apparently thinks that Dean Amissinger is going to get him ready. I don't know. Only time will tell. But certainly it looks like he's the most promising of the three. I expect him to go out there, uh, probably outstrike him, hopefully keep this fight standing and make it a problem. But I, I will not deny, when you're giving a kid a setup fight, one thing that you're not looking to do is give someone who's durable, right? And with Kenny and Jaku, as, as many problems as he has, he brought up that Carlos Olberg fight, as many problems as he had, durability wasn't really one of them. So you beat the crap out of him for the first three minutes, but he was still there. That was a problem. Kazula Vargas has never been knocked out. Kazula Vargas could be a problem. In fact, he does have three-round cardio. So that is the issue to me. Is I can see this kid going out there and, and, and winning the first round. I can see this kid going out there. But what's his cardio going to look like deep in the second and the third? Vargas might not be able to have to wrestle him in the first round. It's being able to grind on him in the second and third. You know, the interesting fact, I knew you and I spoke about this last night, is that Vargas has only ever been finished once in his entire career. And it was by the same man who's the only man to defeat Kamara Usman. You know, Jose Caceres <laughs> slapped the submission on both those guys. One a little more impressive than the other. But uh, what I'm getting at is just, like, I don't think durability is the, the biggest issue for him. So uh, Zuron goes out there and lands these strikes, and he's got that stereotypical Mexican durability, takes these punches, rolls with it. We know he's got some cardio. We know he's got some, some wrestling. He can make this a dirty fight. So look at this from a live betting perspective. You don't like the money line straight up. Watch the first round. Zurong wins that first round. You feel comfortable betting him after that, or you want to take the pre-fight bet, whatever. But if Vargas is still a live dog after the second or third, maybe that's when you look to hedge out of it.
So the official pick will be Zurong. Don't like the money line. I think we're all agreeing on that side of things. It's just the UFC surely they, – they, they pissed a lot of money into the Performance Institute. And if you want to know what seeing a million dollars vanish right before your eyes looks like, talk to Lance Palmer. Not a very good <laughs> feeling. Uh, they want to return on the investment. So sure to God, one of these guys is going to come through. I think it's going to be wrong. All right, all right. I am happy that we're finally through the first three fights because I'm starting to get antsy about these next couple ones because I'm way more excited about the next ones that we got up. So we do have Dana Batkaril. Seems like a little bit of steam is coming on him right now. He is at minus 200. He's going up against Kevin Natividad. Brett, I'll, I'll let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about this fight? I'm intrigued by it. I think people are a lot higher on Batgarel than I am in this matchup. And I understand why. I mean, I liked him against Guido Canetti and he went there, went out there and, and won by first round knockout and looked impressive. And Nativi Dodd didn't look very good in his UFC debut and was knocked unconscious, but I, I'm just, I'm a little bit worried. At least this is the argument for Nativi Dodd. I'm a little bit worried that we're reading too much into the fact that Batgarel knocked out Guido Canetti and the fact that Natividad lost to Miles Johns. I mean, Miles Johns is a very, very good wrestler, and it was not that long prior to the Kennedy fight where Bat Garrell was taken down three times and he lost a decision. And I still, I definitely do have concerns about Natividad's style being a bit low volume, loading up too much, uh, durability is a question mark. But I do wonder if him fighting an opponent like Bat Garrell is going to allow him to open up a little bit more as opposed to facing a wrestler in Miles Johns. And, you know, that kept him tentative. And now he's fought once in the UFC. Maybe there was ring rust there. And I, I still like Batgirl's volume. I, I think he could win by decision, striking-based decision. I think he could win by knockout. But I'm not riding Natividad off completely. And I think, you know, he's not a bad wrestler and grappler himself. I think he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. There's enough there. He's also very powerful. I think he's a more athletic fighter than Baccarat. There's enough there in the Dodd's game for me to just pause and wonder whether him fighting a, a step down in competition might allow him to open up his game a little bit more. And again, make this fight competitive, test Baccarat on the mat, um, or perhaps throw a, a few more than, than 12 strikes over 15 minutes. Yeah, this is an interesting one because when when I was first skimming the odds uh, last week and I was looking at the fights, I'm like, okay, we got back real around minus 180. And then when fight week came, I was surprised at the amount of people that were actually on him and like the amount of confidence that people have on him. Not saying I'm backing Kevin Natividad here, but Batgirl doesn't scream out to me like public favorite, but it seems like that's what he is this week. I'm seeing pretty much everyone and their mother on it. I'm not seeing anybody on Kevin Natividad, to be honest. Uh, I do like Batgirl's game. The guy has a good Muay Thai game, obviously good kickboxing, short office power last time against Guido, Guido Canetti, but Guido Canetti is like all-time number one fade list for me. Like, I love fading that guy. Uh, even if it's that shock, I'll take Kyungo Kango for him every single day. But um, here against uh, Danao Bakaril, he just really has to worry about the striking, right? And if he is able to get takedowns off, if Natividad is able to get takedowns off, um, it could get make things interesting. Like you said, Haile Alatang was successful on three uh, of his takedown attempts, and that's maybe all he's going to need here. I think that Natividad has the advantage in the grappling. I think he has or has the advantage in the jiu-jitsu, and he could possibly find a submission here of his own. However, I do think we see Dana keep this fight on the feet. I think we uh, Haile Alatang is a much better wrestler than uh, Kevin Natividad. And I do think that we see uh, Denal pretty much just batter him on the feet here. Um, it seems like Natividad has a little bit of a cardio issue. I did uh, kind of shout out the round three prop last night. I'm not as confident in it today as I was yesterday. So it's not something I'm going to be laying uh, anything too crazy on. But I do think that the, the striking acumen of Batgarilla is going to start to uh, 
level up here, it's going to start to wear on Natividad, and I think he should be able to get him out late in this fight, probably second or third round. But the, the confidence level has started to dwindle as the week has gone on. It's mainly because I'm seeing the amount of confidence that people are having in him that's bringing my confidence level down. I'm just like, when we have certain spots like this where you have a chalky fighter that seems to be everybody's, you know, uh, bell of the ball almost, um, the guy goes out there and falls on his face. So we'll see what Dana brings to the table uh, tomorrow night. But I am going to take him to win this fight. Cody, how are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, so Fender Jazz's problem with Bacquerel's record is kind of the problem I got with Natividad's record, is that he just really hasn't fought that many great guys. When you look at the fact that Miles John beats him, and I, I agree 100%, Miles John is a different level of competition than Bacquerel's face, and certainly a different level than what he is. He's a, a very opportunistic wrestler boxer. He's got decent enough cardio, but he's got that grind. He's got, he's got a lot of variables. He's kind of like a poor man's Tony Gravely, or maybe not even a poor man's version, but reminds me a lot of a Tony Gravely type fighter. But the one thing is that he doesn't have a ton of power. In fact, he knocked out Kevin Natividad. That officially was the first time he had knocked a guy out in five years. So getting knocked out by Miles John is kind of a problem in that he got absolutely, the way he got knocked out especially, it's like, oh, man. Yeah. Prior to that, he has one other career loss, and it's to Glenn Baker. Glenn Baker was 3-2 and two at the time. He's currently retired with a pro record of 4-3, and three, and he gets knocked out by Glenn Baker nine seconds into the first round. So, again, I do think this guy does have durability issues. Now, people keep on mentioning, like, oh, well, the Miles Johns fight. Understandably so, he got tired in that fight. He took the fight on six days' notice. So he didn't, he didn't. He did accept that particular fight on six days' notice, but he was booked, like, four weeks earlier against Brian Kelleher. Fight got called off due to COVID, and they surely were just like, no problem, we'll throw you right back in there. So was he in bad shape? He did have a camp. He did have a camp going in. I just don't really know how to gauge it. Now, when I look at this fight with Baccarell, I think, okay, you know what? As much as he is a heavy-handed fighter, He's a little bit plodding. He's a little bit slow. He doesn't throw a ton of volume. That would be the path to victory to how to pull one over on this guy, is that he doesn't have a ton of volume, and his takedown defense looked lackluster. We've seen the highly Alatang fight, obviously. 1-1 going into the third. Takedown defense what lets it up for him. He gives up three takedowns overall in that fight. That's the path to victory. You know, this kid, Kevin Tividad, training out of uh, you know uh, Arizona Combat Club, surely he's got some wrestling in his back pocket. Surely maybe that's something that he's able to go to. I just can't trust it. You look at his record outside of the win over Irwin Rivera four years ago. You know, Fard Muhammad, four and six. Elias Gordo, 0 and one. Tyler Balecki, eight and seven. Tom Nee, two and one. He squeaks up a split decision over Andy Perez, seven and seven. And then picks up a decent win over Carlos Estrada. I'll give him that one. And then right away, he's in the UFC. So again, he's, he's short on big experience. He looks like he may have durability issues. His best pass of victory here is get the fight to the ground. And I don't know that I can trust it out of him. Don't love his cardio. And then the last thing I'll put on that is that Baccarel get, gets a bad rap from the Haile Alatang fight in which he trained exclusively in China for that fight. Loses, decides, you know what, I'm coming stateside, ends up going to Greg Jackson's camp. Uh, and then you see the Guido Canetti fight. Looks a lot better now, doesn't he? Now for this camp, he's been at Jackson's and I think he's done like, I want to say six weeks at Extreme Couture. So it's like, I, I would expect him to be in pretty decent shape. If he shows up here in decent shape, with a good game plan, backs his kid up, slowly breaks him over time. I can see one of those like late second or third round finishes from from, um, from the Mongolian. But I mean, again, if we're talking confidence level, let's hurry up and get to the main card. Let's hurry up and get to the good fights because at this point, we're talking about South Asian prospects, and uh, I, I just I don't I don't know how much of a degenerate you would have to be to really heavily invest large chunks of your bankroll, especially at these kind of money line prices. 
Yeah, I think Kevin Natividad was one of those handful of fighters that has benefited from this whole new COVID era that's in the UFC where they're just picking up guys that need to fill out cards. Uh, Dan, do you think Kevin Natividad has any longevity in the UFC? Do you think he gets his hand raised this weekend? I mean, maybe. I mean, look, he's exciting. He at least isn't going to go out there and lay on somebody and bore the crowd to sleep. He's either going to knock someone out or get knocked out. So those are the kind of fighters that we like to watch. And, you know, Bakary, um, you know, it's one thing to pick uh, Denat Bakary to win this fight, but to lay minus 200 on a guy that lost to Haile Alatang and knocked out a 41-year-old. And I know that, you know, I, I like to joke around and exaggerate sometimes and, you know, Put on a show for the fans but uh i'm not i'm not even joking or exaggerating or putting on a show for the fans when i say guido canetti's 41 years old so to me knocking out a 41 year old and he didn't even look that particularly great until the punch landed like I, you want me to lay minus 200 on that like no thank you and like for natividad yeah he lost to miles johns and maybe maybe miles johns is not a top 15 guy maybe miles johns is not this or that but that's a completely different level miles johns is a guy that beat adrian yanez people are talking about yanez being the next coming of, of, of you know what so i i just think that people are showing natividad a little bit too much disrespect and stylistically speaking since these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls that you know maybe it's not a 50 50 fight because i do agree with you on the durability front that maybe denak can probably take the punch better but i mean natividad ain't actually ain't throwing you know softs or anything like that he's going to come out here throwing some heat so either guy could get caught and i just don't want to lay minus 200 look opening line i agreed with more minus 150 deny you want to slightly lean with him the ufc experience maybe he's got a little more volume uh maybe better durability okay i understand but minus 200 um I honestly don't follow anyone if they take a shot on the dog here, but I'm staying away personally. Is your is your pick Bat Grillo if I was gotta put a gun to your head? Yeah, I mean pure pick, uh yeah. deny, but no bet. All right, all right. I, I I like that. I like that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Tristan Connolly, our fellow Canadian brethren, making his return against Pat Sabatini. Now he's going down to 145 pounds. Now uh, this is Tristan Connolly. This will be his third fight down at 145, and he's 0-2 currently at that weight class. Let's see if he can rever uh, reverse his fortune there uh, here against Pat Sabatini. Unfortunately, I don't think he's he's going to do it this weekend. You know, the, the the opening line on this was absolutely egregious. You get plus 105 on Sabatini right off the bat, and that shit got smashed immediately by those $20, $100 betters. And we see that line get skyrocketed up to like minus 200 for Sabatini. And that's kind of where I, I agree the line should be. The, the, I, I don't want to say the carbon copies of each other, but I feel like they kind of have the same game plan where they'd like to grapple. They'd like to get the fight to the ground. Uh, that's where they have their most dominance. Obviously, uh, Tristan Connolly saw uh, jiu-jitsu player as well as Sabatini. But I feel like the the, the youth advantage here, the five-year youth advantage that Tristan Con or, uh, Pat Sabatini is going to have here, not to mention a little bit more power on the feet, I think he has. Uh, and I think he's just going to be a step ahead of Tristan Connolly throughout here. Obviously, we're always going to take the American wrestler over the Canadian wrestler. And we know that uh, uh, Sabatini is obviously going to go out there and get his takedowns here. Uh, and then once it hits the ground, I expect it to be like all offense almost. I'm not expecting much laying and praying here. I'm expecting both guys to be going for finishes uh, and, and uh, trying to find a submission of some sort. Um, the, the sneaky play I like here is the under two and a half around that plus 175 mark. I think that we can find one of these guys either get a ground and pound finish or a um, or a submission victory. But it's not looking too good for Tristan Carley, right? The guy's 34 years old, coming off some car crash, having like this neck surgery and all this type of stuff. It doesn't seem like a good... Uh, concoction of ingredients to come into the UFC and you know fight a guy like Pat Sabatini after such a long layoff after he had that massive upset over uh Michelle Pereira last time around but like 
anybody's probably going to beat that Michelle Pereira that night. So good, good on Connolly for capitalizing on that and cashing as a plus 300-ish dog that night. But I do think Sabatini is a much better fighter at this point in time, coming over from CFFC as the featherweight champion. I think he has a lot more to bring to the table. And I think he's actually going to find the submission here on Tristan Connolly, who's only been submitted once out of his uh, four or five losses, I believe it is. But I do think that Sabatini has that level of jiu-jitsu and has that level of grappling that he can go out there and put that pressure on Connolly and eventually finish him probably in the second or third round. Cody, are you going to give us, uh, our Canadian brethren, some more credence than I am, or do you see this as one-sided as I think it's going to be with Sabatini getting his hand raised? Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd say like one-sided, like it's going to be an absolute drubbing. I think Connolly brings a lot to the table. First and foremost, he does have a decent amount of experience. He's already made that UFC walk. He picked up a huge win in getting that win. I mean, he got $100,000. He got the fight of the night bonus, plus he got Pereira's side of it as well because Pereira missed weight. So that's all good stuff. He's reinvested in his gym check mat over in BC. I mean, he's the head coach there. And I, I honestly just feel like he's a durable guy. He's got a great gas tank on him. That's been like kind of like the calling card for his entire career is that he just keeps going, keeps going, keeps grinding. And, you know, pretty good chin on him as well. I mean, if he's one of these guys that can drag Sabatini to some deeper waters as he did with Pereira, then maybe he can make it interesting. With Sabatini, we saw his last loss. I mean, it's a dislocated elbow, but this is the kind of shit that happens in MMA. Get it? But it's the kind of stuff like Sean O'Malley that you've you got to wonder, like, you know, is he injury prone? Is it a freak accident or is it something that could happen again? With Tristan Connolly, you really got to put the guy away because otherwise he's going to be continuously trying to make this a fight, trying to make this dirty. At plus 105, it's Sabatini all day. At minus 130, minus 140, I think it's still Sabatini. Now that you start getting into this plus two, minus 250 range for Sabatini, you know, you're, you're definitely writing off Tristan Connolly. So Connolly hasn't fought in a year and a half. He had to have like a disc in his neck fused, bad, bad neck injury, not something a whole lot of professional athletes come back from. He is 35 years old, and there's there's enough things going against him that I'm not running to the to the bookmaker to try to place that bet on Tristan Connolly as I was in that Michelle Pereira fight, where he really is right place, right time. He'd fought twice in the four months leading up to that fight, so he's active, keeping active. Pereira misses weight, so bad weight cut. Pereira goes on record being like, none of my coaches showed up. I had to cut weight all by myself. It's like, dude, these are all big red flags, right? And, and you, you got a guy in Tristan Connolly who's moving up a weight class. So he already had good cardio. Being up the extra 15 pounds wasn't going to hurt him. It's right place, right time. Pass Sabatini in that same spot probably could also win that fight. All you had to do is last the first round, put a pressure on this guy, and get him to the ground. But Connolly's got heart for days. Maybe that is his best asset, cardio and heart. So at these kind of lines, like, could he make it a closer fight than the line suggests? I, I think he probably could. But I got to go with Sabatini. I think that he's the, the well-rounded fighter. As you mentioned, the wrestling chops. Justin Connolly's best aspect is getting you to the ground, you know, pulling you to those deep waters and trying to make you drown. I just don't think he's got the wrestling edge in the spot. I don't think he's able to go out there and get Sabatini down at will. As far as the fight stays standing, Sabatini should have a slight striking advantage. I think his cardio is good enough. He's a CFFC champion, so he was fighting their four-round title fights, not five rounds. If it's 2-2 going into the fifth, they'll have that fifth round as, like, an extension round. But, I mean, for the most part, the times that he's had to fight into four-round fights, he's looked good. He's, he's had no problem. So. I feel like this is the kid that's coming along. He's a training partner of Sean Brady. He has a similar style to Brady. And as everybody who's followed me knows, I'm big on Sean Brady and what he brings to the table. Some of these guys out of Henzo Gracie, Philadelphia, you know, they're tough. They're rugged. And a lot of them have good grappling. And that's his thing as well. Not only does he have the wrestling advantage and slight striking advantage, but he's also a BJJ black belt. So even if this fight does hit the ground, Connolly's on top. He's not going to be in some crazy position. And roles reversed, as much as I like Connolly, 
Shane Campbell slapped a knee bar on him. Like, yeah. Are you fucked? Like, there's a definite possibility that Pat Sabatini could now slap something on him and submit you. It's possible, right? Two high-level grapplers, but it's an MMA fight. So if one guy's getting beat up or a bad position, you, you just never know. So the play has to be Sabatini. And I know you mentioned that you like the under two and a half. I'm kind of thinking this the other way. I do think that they remotely match up well. They're both tough guys. They both got hard. They got decent cardio. They've got similar skill sets. I think uh, I think this one's going the distance at plus one twenty. Uh, so Dan, uh, with with this fight, you have originally Pat Sabatini making his debut two months ago against Rafael Alves. Alves comes in with one of the biggest weight misses of all time, uh, and you get a completely different matchup here. Alves obviously much more muscular, and you got a lot more things to worry about, especially on the feet with Alves. But now you got Tristan Conley coming in, and this is the debut that you have. Uh, how are you seeing this matchup for Sabatini? Do you think the line is correct? Is this something that you'd be looking to to jump after at that minus two forty range? Yeah, I thought Rafael Alves was going to put it on him, to be honest with you. Oh, wow. um, with uh, Tristan Connolly, I mean, not to discredit him, I'm happy he got his 100K, and it's always nice when the journeyman has his moment. And, and you know, with me saying that, the guy's won nine of his last ten. I got to give him credit, nine of his last ten. So it's really a thing where, like, he started his career three and four, and since then he's gotten his shit together. So I respect that. But when you actually examine what truly happened, I mean, Michelle Pereira had one of the most spectacular knockouts of the year against Danny Hot Chocolate, got his first 50K bonus. His head completely exploded. You watch the walkout against Tristan Conley. The guy's got like a 10-minute dance routine, goes in there, does 10 backflips in a row, and then he jumps guillotine, and then he ends up on bottom. And Tristan Conley just stays on top and wins the round. So that fight isn't even about what Tristan did right. That's about what Michelle did wrong. They fight again. Michelle is even 5% more focused. I mean, he, he blows that guy out the water. And then you talk about dropping two weight classes. Like, that's a big deal. And obviously, that means that he's putting in work. That means that he's in the best shape of his life. But on the flip side, like, how, how's he going to perform at 145 pounds, right? Like, there's a different pace of fighting. Whereas Sabatini has been there. He's done that. Look, I know Connolly made 45 half a decade ago but i mean it's not like we're talking about a 21 year old we're talking about a 35 year old now he's making that drop and you know you watch chris wade tonight in pfl he made his drop to 45s i don't care who they scored that fight for he looked like dog shit so it's it's one of those things where i don't trust the weight cut and with sabatini even though i'm not fully sold on him at all i do think that one thing i respect about him is He's not out here taking unnecessary risks. He doesn't fight uncharacteristic. He stays true to his style. And I think there's a good chance he grinds out uh, Tristan Connolly. But no, I'm not willing to lay the price on him. I, I, I got to see him under the lights first, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Uh, Brett, are you going to complete the unanimous decision that we have here for Pat Sabatini, or do you think that Tristan Connolly has a little bit more shot than we're giving him? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to discredit Connolly. Like you said, you know, anyone could have beaten Pajara on that night. And to some degree, I know what you mean. But on the other hand, it, it takes a certain level of intangible to go out there up at 170, ride out even one round and have enough cardio to go rounds two and three. And, you know, he's dropping multiple divisions. I mean, it, Sabatini could be an easier test for him in some ways. And we haven't seen Sabatini fight in the UFC. Um I really, really like his grappling game. I'm not in love with his striking game. And so if the fight plays out on the feet, I wouldn't be shocked if Connolly had some success. But man, I, I, I'm i a little bit biased here because there's a lot of fighters I watch, a lot of fighters making their UFC debuts who grappling is just not any good. And you can, you know, they say they're a black belt in jujitsu and 
you watch them on the mat and it's like, all right, they've never trained without a gi a day in their life. Like you can tell they're, they're trying to grab collar ties and it's just, it's Sabatini has a no gi style and it's very, very obvious on tape. And that style works at the UFC level. And he's not going to be in a big, he's not going to be threatened too much on his back. If he gets put there, he's excellent at, at advancing positions. He can transition. Well, he knows how to escape from his back. So, and he has a process to his game. I mean, this guy goes out there, clinches, drags you to the ground over and over again. That's what he wants to do. And even if he's not the greatest at it, that style wins fights. So I'm, I definitely am on Sabatini here. The line's a little bit too wide for me to, you know, make a sizable wager on it straight. But from, from a DraftKings perspective, he's priced below all three champions. That might make him lower owned. So that's where I'm going to get my investment. I'm going to be way over on Sabatini because I think he has a chance to pretty much dominate Connolly on the mat for three rounds or submit him. That's his upside. Maybe Connolly has some more intangibles that help keep him in this fight. But I really like Sabatini's grappling game and. Uh, I think it's going to be enough for him in this matchup. Yeah, I think his control time is going to be huge on the DK side of things, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be overly exposed on him. So hopefully Connolly doesn't fuck everybody up and actually uh, take the win here. All right, let's move on to the next one. We got Brendan Allen versus Carl Roberson. I'm very interested to hear everybody's take on this fight. First and foremost, we'll start off with Cody. Lay it on his brother. Yeah, again, this is a, one I'm getting kind of cold feet for. So uh, Brendan Allen does what he's capable of. He goes out there, he gets the takedowns. He maybe submits Carl Roberson in the first round, but certainly we've seen the blueprint for Carl Roberson, right? Great kickboxer, nasty leg kicks, guy that you probably don't want to be standing at range with, with for very long, but you drag him to the mat, and then all of a sudden the, the submission just presents itself. Now, I don't know if we should give him a pass, right? His last loss, Marvin Vittori, geez, top three guy in the world at 185 pounds, you give him a pass there. The Glover Tech Sarah fight, <laughs> top three guy in the world at 205 pounds, getting ready to challenge for a title, so, so you give him a pass there. Caesar Mutanch, that was Caesar Mutanch once he was like, I'm not going to strike anymore. Just just powering guys to the ground. And again, high-level BJJ black belt. So you give him a pass in those situations. But again, I mean, the blueprint is there. His takedown defense isn't great. His submission defense isn't great. And beyond all that, he's kind of a big guy for the weight class. So he used to fight at 205, as I mentioned, in the fight with Glover Texera. And since then, drops down to 185 pounds. And, and the Marvin Vittori fight, he bails out the first time with a with a fight week illness. Then he does make weight, or he doesn't make weight. He comes in at 190 pounds, misses weight by four pounds, and then goes out there and gets proceeded to get submitted in the first round. So it was super interesting to see what he's going to look at on weigh-ins today. You know what? I mean, looked fine. Sure, no problem. The issue that I'm running to with the cold feet now is that Brendan Allen should, 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 should get these takedowns, should grind against them. But Brendan Allen, one, likes to stand and strike a little bit too long. You've seen that in his last fight against Sean Strickland. It's like, the urgency to get to the fight to the ground isn't quite there. He does train on a Sanford MMA now, and maybe it's like he wants to try out his his newfound striking. He wants to try to you know use these new wrinkles that he's that he's learned in the gym. It's just not the right place. And beyond that, his his cardio kind of looks a little bit suspect. He really pushes the action, really fast fast paced guy. But in both of his losses in LFA to uh, Eric Anders and uh, Fluffy Hernandez, they're both five round title fights. Where just like the longer the fight goes, he does tend to get tired. The Kevin Holland fight does submit Kevin Holland, but he's noticeably gassed midway through the second round of that fight. And the Kyle Doukas fight doesn't look very good in that fight, but it's all on after the first round, once he gasses. So I guess this, this, this reoccurring problem that I'm having, this bad you know feeling in the, in the pit of my stomach, is that he goes out there, maybe he does get these takedowns in the first round. But if he doesn't get the first round submission, just like everybody else has been doing, 
he's going to start to tire. And he because he stands a little too long and he stands with a wide stance, Carl Roberson, if this thing stays standing, he's just going to chip away at him. He's going to smash that leg. That's going to cause Brandon Allen to maybe not be able to shoot properly. And again, if he doesn't press the action and continuously getting this thing to the ground, it could be trouble for him. So I guess I kind of want to hit a pass. I mean, I know I've been betting a lot of favorites, but uh, the, the the smart play here is it's a close fight. I think you take the pass. I don't think there's a huge you know edge to be gained either side. But if you're looking for a dog with a chance of pulling the upset here, I, I think it just depends on who implements their game plan. Is it going to hit the ground or is it going to stay standing? Stay standing. Carl Roberson's going to have his opportunities. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you touched on the weigh-in thing this morning. He was the sixth person on the scale. He was lined up and ready to go at 9 o'clock, and I think that was a point that he wanted to make, especially all the issues that he's had in the past with the scales. Dan, do you do you put some credence into that, the fact that he was one of the first guys on the scale, and how do you think he fares in this fight against Brendan Allen? Nah, I mean, if we're going to talk about who, what order they stepped onto the scale and this and that, I mean – at least Jorge Masvidal, I think he tried to make a statement being the first one on the yeah. scale, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really care about that stuff because I mean, I remember when Brian T. City Ortega was the last man on the scale before the uh, or, uh, Moicano fight, and he looked like he was on death's doorstep, and then he goes out there, out back, out boxes Moicano, and then chokes him out. So yeah, it, it was one of those situations where it didn't matter. I just rather look at the fight at hand and with brendan allen i mean it's like brendan i mean you did one fight with henry hooft and all of a sudden you think you're a K, you think you're a k1 striker now it's a, it's truly unlike anything i've ever seen because you know i was telling brett Apley a while back about how um now that brendan allen's finally a black belt the style that he's been trying to do for so many years is act is gonna work now you know if you look at those lfa fights they lost to fluffy and to eric you know, it's like a purple belt or a brown belt back then. And for him to implement his specific style, which is, you know, uh, take these dudes' backs and choke them out. Like, if you want to do that at the highest level, you better be a black belt. So his first few UFC fights, he was doing his thing, man, and easily. And does one camp with Henry Hooft, and now he's coming out here. And I also think that, it, you know, because obviously you guys know his last two fights, he didn't land any takedowns, right? So the fight with Dacus, he drops him. And sometimes when these grapplers start dropping people, they fall in love with their striking. And even in that Strickland fight, uh, Strickland whooped his ass. But like there was a moment when like Brendan Allen even dro uh, not dropped, but wobbled Strickland with the left hook and showed some improvements. But eventually, as it started, as shit started to get real, you know, Strickland uh, took over and really, really pieced him up. So, I mean, you know the the blueprint's been laid out take this guy down right away he's not he's not about to fight these chokes or anything like that and brendan you gonna do this or not you know and that's <laughs> that's all it is man so uh yeah i'll go with brendan allen i think that after getting humbled the way he did hopefully because he said some he called that fight a fluke in an interview recently but he also said that I don't think Carl Roberson can go three rounds with me without this fight hitting the mat at least once. And that's what that's what I like to hear going into this fight. So get back to your roots and you win this fight, Brendan. So I, I got Brandon Vera submission. Yeah, you got to be blind as a bat to know that or to not know that uh, getting this fight to the ground is the best way for Brandon Allen to get his hand raised this week. And Brett, how are you seeing this one? You giving Carl a chance as a dog here or do you think Brandon Allen rolls and submits him with a with a choke of some sort? I mean, Roberson definitely has a chance, but I think it is in part 
based on how Brendan Allen fights and you guys mentioned it, like obviously if Brendan Allen can take this fight to the ground with any consistency, he's going to win. He's a better wrestler. He's a better submission grappler. And Roberson has had weaknesses there in the past. And I heard the exact same thing that Dan said, and it's, it doesn't mean anything, but on the other hand, it's at least nice to know that he answered, you know, he can't go three rounds without me getting him to the ground as opposed to what, who cares about the ground? I'm going to beat this guy's ass on the feet. So I feel like he probably does wrestle to some degree, but the other aspect, are we sure that Roberson's going to beat him even if this fight plays out on the feet? Because I know he comes from a glory kickboxing background, and I know Allen got, <laughs> got knocked out in his last fight, but like I also thought his striking looked better than it had, probably because he was training with a better camp. He also, in six minutes, landed more significant strikes than Roberson's landed in any fight in his entire career. And Roberson, most of his success is in the UFC has actually come on the mat. I mean, he's out, you know, submitted Darren Stewart. He out-wrestled Jack Marshman. The Wellington-Termont fight, he landed 50 strikes, but there was a lot of grappling in that. And then he submitted um, Kopilov. So I do think Roberson's best chance to win this fight is either him defending takedowns and keeping the fight on the feet or just Allen not choosing to wrestle, but I, I think Allen could actually be still competitive with him while the fight plays out on the feet in part, because he does put up a pace that Roberson has just proven that he doesn't fight at, and he's still going to be more technical. Maybe he hurts Allen and finishes him, but um, I don't know that it's so binary as maybe the public expects. Yeah, that, for some reason, I feel like Robertson is one of the dogs that I actually like on this card compared to the rest of the slate that we actually have. And you guys have pretty much nailed the, this fight to a T. He needs to keep the fight on the feet to be the most successful. And the one thing I found in that Strickland fight, it seemed like the shots that Strickland was throwing out there is more so like going through the motions. It didn't really seem like he's putting any real pop or like flavor on these shots. And it was the ending combination that obviously finishes Brendan Allen. So I'm wondering to what extent Brendan Allen's chin has chin issues like does he have does he have durability issues is if carl roberson lands a perfect bomb on him is he just going to go to sleep like i wasn't the most overly impressed with the shot that he ate that eventually was the ending of the fight uh in the sean strickland one but again he was getting pieced the fuck up for for the good majority of that fight so maybe it was just an accumulation of strikes and i'm not giving it enough credence right but uh yeah so that's one concern of mine but i do think that as long as this fight stays on the feet that that leg kick of carl robeson is just a fucking is just a piston i think that's going to be very big for him here hopefully he's able to bring it back quickly enough that uh, brendan allen doesn't eventually parlay that into a takedown but i do like uh the roberson um side here you know the, the line is starting to widen a bit i did take a piece of him at plus 138 this morning uh I'm hoping that I did completely botch the um, the line movement. He's at plus 145 now. God damn it. Yeah, line movement has never been the best part of my game. I will admit that. But, uh, yeah, I do think that Roberson is uh, uh, one of the liver dogs on this card. I'm going to take him to knock out uh, Brendan Allen probably in the first or second round. And I don't think he's absolute dog shit on the ground. Like, I think he's serviceable on the ground. That last fight against Mar Marvin Vittori, man, I think that truly destroyed his image in the public's eye because of, like, all the shit that went going leading up to that fight right you guys remember that uh, that viral video that went out of marvin vittori going to hulk shit in the in the hotel lobby at carl robertson obviously it makes carl robertson look like a, a bitch right and everybody's just like oh robertson's a bitch now and let's not even bother uh ranking him or, or giving him any credence anymore but like you're talking about a guy that was like minus 115 going into that glover to share fight so we had these thoughts about him that he could actually go out there and do some damage and he almost finished glover right 
but Glover just keeps on taking. Old man Glover just doesn't know when to go out when he needs to go out, and it's probably going to you know be much worse for him in, in the next 10 to 15 years. But uh, I, I still believe Carl Robertson has a really good shot to go out there and knock this guy out, and that's probably the way that I'm leaning here. Plus, 335 was the knockout prop I saw. It's probably a little bit better now, considering that there is money coming in on Brendan Allen. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Robertson side here. feels like I'm on a bit of an island, but I'll take it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Dwight Grant against Stefan Sykulich. Both guys have been relatively inactive in the cage. Dan, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. Yeah, I mean, look, Dwight Grant is it, kind of frustrating because he's got the power to absolutely launch people uh, across the octagon and yeah. stiffen them cold. But he tends to underperform in in fights where I expect him to to destroy the guys, like the Zach Otto fight. That's the that's the best example. I mean, look, I, I kind of honestly thought that was a robbery. I kind of honestly thought that Dwight Grant was gonna go. You know, I honestly thought he deserved to get his arm raised. But like, like, dude, I, I was also honestly expecting a thirty second knockout. I was expecting you to launch this guy in the first exchange. Alan Juban, a guy that I got so much respect for. Um, just underwhelming performances at times, but then other times like against Jordan Williams launches him uh, yeah. against Carlo Petersali. I mean, you know, knocks his mouthpiece into the fifth row. So it's one of these things where it was Stefan Sekulich. So this is one thing I got to say, he's coming off a jaw surgery and, you know, Dwight Grant, He's kind of the last guy I want to test my jaw against uh, coming off one of those surgeries. Stefan Sekulich, you know, he's got a bit of a karate style. Uh, he can kind of grind a little bit, too. He's just not the most athletic. And the way I kind of view it is, you know, uh, Dusko Todorovic, uh, the middleweight prospect. Um, so Stefan's kind of like Dusko's uh, main sparring partner. So he's kind of like Dusko's punching bag. It's kind of like uh, Volante to Chris Weidman type, type ordeal. So Stefan's, you know, he comes from a good gym, of course, but D Dusko's the star. Uh, from that gym and, and Stefan's the guy that's just kind of average. So look, there is a path to victory here. You you don't get knocked out. All you got to do is out volume Dwight Grant. Like for some reason, Dwight Grant refuses to throw and it's the most frustrating thing ever. And then other times like he'll knock you in, into next week. So I'm going to go with Dwight Grant to catch this guy just because I don't think Stefan is the most athletic. I don't think that he's going to be able to run away as much. He's not that fast and and, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just like there's there's definitely a path for the underdog if he doesn't get caught. But I'm going to say he does get caught. Just, you know, I wouldn't lay a price like this on Dwight Grant because he was a similar price against Otto, which seems like that, that's an easy fight, dude. And he let us down there. So uh, hometown robbery or not. So I'm not willing to lay the chalk, but pure pick Dwight Grant knockout. Yeah, I like it. Last time we saw Dwight Grant, he was put in a pretty peculiar situation, right? You got, uh, you have to take the quick short notice fight against Dave, uh, Daniel Rodriguez because both of their opponents pulled out right after the weigh-in, and uh, we get a crazy one-round fight between them. Uh, he almost gets the finish. Chris Tyone didn't see a dead body yet, so he continued the fight, and then Daniel Rodriguez eventually gets the finish there. Uh, Brett, how much value are you seeing on Sekulich as you know I believe that most of us are going to agree that the line is a little bit too wide would you put the money out there and in terms of once again resident DraftKings guy how do you feel like this will uh, affect the lineups and and the tournaments this weekend well yeah I mean the line might be too wide but it, it you know it's, it's just hard to lay the chalk on a fighter who just refuses to do anything and he has first round knockout potential but he's proven that when he doesn't get a first round knockout um the fight's going to be pretty close he's liable to losing and it's just yeah Sekulich doesn't look like a great prospect 
0-1 in the UFC. He got knocked down by Emiev. That leads me to believe Grant has a pretty good chance of at least landing that knockdown in the first round. But, I mean, this is more of a, a process fight. You know, if Grant doesn't score that first-round knockout, I don't think any of us would be surprised if Sekulich found a way to come back and win. And I know he fought super hard against Daniel Rodriguez for the first couple minutes, and he almost won by knockout. But, like, the fight literally only lasted two minutes and he gassed out so hard so fast from beating his opponent up i just he's now 36 going on 40 um the the lines where it's at because nobody believes that sekulich is actually a talent and even if the cardio isn't there for grant the power still might be enough but there's no way i'm touching this fight and from a DraftKings perspective I mean, even if Grant goes out there and wins by first round knockout, which is, you know, potential outcome, um, he's priced all the way up to 9.2K. So he's got to probably outscore the majority of Kamaru Usman, Shevchenko, Zhu, Wally Zhang, Jimmy Crute, Sabatini, et cetera. And grappling scores so much better on DraftKings. So I, I, I don't really plan to have any exposure to Grant across the board and that includes DraftKings just because his his path of victory is so limited his style is so uh slow paced as well yeah this this fight almost gives me al hassan versus malcolm vibes where we're just almost dismissing secular to a fault here and he could absolutely spring the upset here considering that dwight grant doesn't really give us much other than that knockout and super low volume right so unless he hurts secular in two of those three rounds and then gets the judge's decision that way is that something you're really willing to to lay the minus 220 on to, to truly think that Dwight Grant can do that? And again, both guys are relatively inactive. I, I believe two fights ago for Dwight Grant, uh, Dan was in the audience to watch him fight uh, Alan Joban way back at UFC 236, the same night that we had Kelvin Yaslam and Israel Adesanya, and Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway, right? So these guys just don't fight that often. So it's truly harder to, to go out there and cap these guys and say what they bring to the table. Sekulich as well, right? Like, Talk about a tough UFC debut against Ramazan Amiv. Like the guy doesn't do anything spectacular that jumps off the page, but he can make you look bad just by grinding you the fuck out the way that Amiv does in pretty much every single fight. Um, I do ever so slightly lean with Dwight Grant though. Like I do think he ends up landing that punch. He's going to be the faster, stronger, and quicker guy in the spot. He'll be quicker to the punch. And I don't think Sekulich will see it coming, and eventually he'll probably be eating canvas. But I'm not willing to lay that chalk here. I would rather play Grant by KO, to be honest. And even that, I just don't feel most uh, super inclined to do so. Cody, you, you in agreement here, or you, you think that we're getting a Malcoon situation here and Stefan Sekulich pulls us off? Yeah, shit, we might be. Listen, there's nothing more frustrating to watch than a guy that refuses to let his hands go. I mean, you can give a guy God-given power, but, you know, Levy mentioned a few fights back, you know, sometimes these grapplers knock out a guy, and all of a sudden they're just like, whoa, I'm going to do this from now on. Well, the same thing happens sometimes you knock out somebody, and it's just like, oh, man, I, fuck throwing combinations, fuck throwing 100 punches, fuck volume the guy. I just got to land that one punch and knock him out. And when you have that much power, you start relying too much on the power and you become tentative. And yeah, you mentioned Razak Al-Hassan from last week. It's the same thing. Al-Hassan has tons of power, but he's also got lackluster cardio. So he doesn't want to go throw 30, 40, 50 punches. He wants to wait, wait, try to counter you with the one big shot. And if it gets out of the first round, he starts to tire and fatigue. Dwight Grant's the exact same thing. I mean, he's 36 years old. Uh, he's shown that he has that power. But beyond that, there's just no volume out of him. We all learned our lesson in the Zach Otto fight. Where, yeah, I, There's another point I agree with Levy. I I thought he won the Zach Otto fight. But I don't fault the judges because he doesn't do anything. Nothing happens. He just allows the fight to slip away from him. 
And a similar thing happens in the Joban fight. If you check out like MMA decisions, it's like split 50-50. Half of them think Joban won, half of them think Dwight Grant won. That would have been a really quality victory. He's this close to knocking out Daniel Rodriguez. That would have been a very, very nice victory. In a parallel universe, this dude's on a hell of a roll right now. It's just we don't live in that parallel universe. We live in the one where he just doesn't do shit. And as a result, it catches up to bite him in the ass. Now, he's been at American Kickboxing Academy throughout the course of his career so far. And even though, you know, it's, that's more of a wrestling-heavy gym, it, it just didn't really, like, jive with him. So for this camp, he's left. Now, mind you, you can't really get better than AKA, but he's at Alliance now. And, and one's got to wonder, maybe linking up with Eric Del Fiero, they'll have a slightly better striking-heavy approach to this fight. And he's got to lay it on the line, I guess. Like, I just don't really know what to expect. Sekulich, 0-1 in the UFC. Yeah, I fought Ramazan and me, tough go. Um, one thing about that though, is that he shoots five takedowns on him. He gets one of them, which is impressive in its own right. But the fact that he was willing to consistently go to the wrestling, perfect. Cause that's what you got to do here. You know, grind him up against the cage, try to take him down. Zach Otto just grinded him. Zach Otto took him down. Zach Otto was able to tire him out. You got to go out there and do the exact same thing and put it on him. Now, Malkoon, as much as we all wrote him off for the most part, man, he got knocked down and this and that. He had legitimate credentials in that. You know, he was the 2019 ADCC uh, Oceani champion. He was BJJ black belt at only 25. He's supposed to be really good at grappling. He is Robert Whitaker's coach, who Robert Whitaker's super high on. Whitaker's on the card. Both guys have been sparring with each other for eight weeks in this camp. That, that, that's all good stuff leading up. With Dwight Grant, like, I, I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Don't know what he's doing. Don't know what he's doing. Don't know where his head's at. Don't know where, you know. It's, there's too many question marks in that. So I think Sekulich could be considered a live dog. Dwight Grant should win. But the same shit happened last weekend, right? Al Hassan should have won. He's a judo black belt. He'll be able to stuff these takedowns. No, no, could, could. As if he had never stuffed a takedown in his life. Like, it's just, it's very disappointing stuff. So, for that reason, I'm thinking the official pick, like you say, gun to your head, got to say something. Uh, I'd say Dwight Grant. And then leaning towards Dwight Grant, probably by knockout, I, I guess. With Sekulich, he got knocked out by David Zawada. This is like five years ago, but he did get knocked out by David Zawada. And then, yeah, um, the Amin fight, he got dropped by Amin. Like, whoa, that's a massive cause for concern. Ramzan Amin is a decision machine. Doesn't knock out anybody. Doesn't hurt anybody. So to get knocked down by him is, is cause for concern. The prior knockout to David Zawada, cause for concern. And my boy Levy mentioned it best. He's a Dusko's training partner. And Dusko is real raw, real green, not making improvements very quickly. And this kid's like playing second fiddle to him, right? So... I don't expect him to come in here with a refined game plan or a refined skill set. I expect him to come in as that, that, that same, you know, warm body type of approach that he generally does. So I guess I'd take Dwight Grant, but I can smell apple shit already. Yeah, just look at this. Like, look at the fights that we've just gone through. Dwight Grant, minus 200. Pat Sabatini, minus 240. Zhu Rong, minus 225. Ariani Carnalosi, minus 210. And then uh, Dana Gurriel, minus 200. If you told me at least two of those guys are going to end up losing or two of those women are going to end up losing this weekend, I I, I can't say I disagree, man. Like, it, it, there's absolutely apple pie shitting happening this weekend. We just don't know exactly which one it's going to happen from. All right, let's move on to the prelim headliner here. We got a fight that was supposed to happen a couple months ago, I believe, between uh, Randy Brown and Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Brett, I'll let you one kick this off uh, for us, buddy. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear what you guys have to say because even though we all know Alex Oliveira's fight IQ is trash and it that's always been the biggest issue between the ears for him, I still feel like his he's regressing, like it's getting worse. And 
for the, I mean, for that reason alone, it's going to be a, a very specific matchup for me to ever trust Alex Oliveira. I just don't even know what this guy actually wants to do inside the octagon. But with that said, I mean, his skills are still decent. He's still a very physical fighter. He packs power in his punches. He's a good clinch grappler, especially. And Randy Brown, you know, ha has had his ups and downs. Um, I think there's a definite argument to make for him to win this fight, probably by decision. You know, he's four inches taller. He's got a reach advantage. He throws strikes at a, a much higher pace. Oliveira, that's part of the regression I'm talking about. His volume is just getting worse and worse. I mean, he hasn't landed 50 strikes uh, since 2017. So he's either kind of dependent on a knockout or he's dependent on grappling success. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely an argument to make that Oliveira could knock Randy Brown out. Brown was knocked down twice by Vincente Luque and was knocked out. He was knocked out by Nico Price from the bottom. Um, I'm not convinced this guy is the most durable fighter in the division. And then from a grappling perspective, yeah, two fights ago, he beat Worley Alves. He was taken down a few times. There's definitely paths to victory for Oliveira, but I do think in part it depends on what kind of Oliveira shows up. Um, and just in, you know, in terms of his fight IQ and also cardio, his cardio has looked worse and worse. So for me, the, the pick is going to be Randy Brown, just because, you know, I actually kind of trust this guy to go 15 minutes. I trust him to be a consistent range striker. His grappling has developed a little bit as well. Um, whereas Olivera seems to be regressing. So he's just the fighter. I trust more of the two, but yeah, I would line this fight close because Olivera has, you know, physicality advantages to some degree, and he has power and that, you know, he's proven time and again that he can change a fight with that physicality and power. Yeah, this one's a very tough one for me to cap because the one thing I always touch on about Cowboy when I break down his fights is he's such a wild card. Like, we don't know what we're going to get with the guy whenever he steps into the cage. Like, sometimes we'll get that Peter Sabota performance where he just tears up his body for 15 minutes. His cardio looks decent, and he looks like a world beater. He looks like a guy that can go and compete with the top 10. Then we get performances like the Shavkat Rachmanov fight where he gets submitted relatively quickly. And Rachmanov, in hindsight, might end up looking like a very good fighter a couple years down the road. But even, like, prior fights, right, when you see him losing to, like Yancy Medeiros and some of these other guys are, like that are middling uh, guys at this weight class, it's, it doesn't give you too much confidence in Cowboy Oliveira. Whereas uh, with Randy Brown, it seems like we've seen him grow, grow up in the UFC, right? Well, since he made his debut way back in 2015. I know my guy Dan was heavy on him back when he fought Mickey Gall uh, back in the day. And, uh, you know, it, it came to fruition for him. It was a great fight for him. And he seems like he's making improvements uh, on a fight-to-fight -fight basis too, right? But Man, somebody call up his manager and fire that guy immediately for setting him up with Vicente Luque last time around. That was a little bit too quick, too soon. I felt like the Cowboy fight probably was the best next step for him. Like, they should have put that fight in front of him instead of the Luque fight, and I think it would have been a, a much better uh, result for him. But, man, you can't throw him into uh, a Vicente Luque fight that quickly. Uh, and, you know, it only took two rounds for Luque to take him out. Uh, so, so good showing from Luque there. But Randy Brown seems to be showing improvements. Like, his striking looks good. His jiu-jitsu is starting to improve on a fight-to-fight -fight basis. For Oliveira, though, his his cardio is always my main question. Because if it starts to fall off a cliff after that one-and-a-half round mark, 
then I think it's going to be Randy Brown all day. And I am on the Randy Brown side here. I'm just not the most keen on betting him uh, at this point in time because Oliver could absolutely surprise us. And the one thing I found very interesting, and even Dan tweeted about this, is the 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 the, the way in stare down this morning. What the fuck? Or not this morning, but uh, a couple hours ago. What the fuck was that all about? Like, uh, you don't normally see Oliver that uh, pissed and aggressive and and crazy at the at the weigh-ins. I'm not sure what was said on the Randy Brown side of things. Maybe Dan could shed some light afterwards uh, when we get to him, but. Uh, maybe he has some fire going into this fight. Maybe that's the extra motivation that he needs. Maybe it's the 28th kid that he has on the way that he needs to feed, that he wants to go out there and get a performance bonus for or something like that. But I still do think that Randy Brown batters him from the outside. Uh, he is going to be more successful the longer this fight goes. And I'm going to take him to win by decision or possibly a late finisher, depending on how reliable Cowboy Oliver's gas tank is for him this weekend. So uh, I got Randy Brown, Safdick. Let us know your thoughts, and then we'll get to Dan to, to wrap this thing up. Yeah, I got Randy Brown as well. Listen, Cowboy Oliveira, I know Apley uh, briefly touched on this as well. So he mentally seems checked out, just doesn't seem like he's the same guy anymore. And I know he's only like 33 years old, but his best days are certainly behind him. There was a time this guy was making 155 pounds, was huge for the weight class, was out there mixing it up with top flight competition, making a name for himself. But since then, it's just been like pretty lackluster results. When you look really at his run of wins, right, he's got a... Uh, KJ Nunes, cut from the UFC. Joey Merritt, cut from the UFC. Peter Hallman, cut. James Muntasri, cut. Will Brooks, cut. Ryan LaFleur, retired. Carlos Condit, fuck, man. I mean, talk about a guy that's holding on to just the glory days, the name of his glory days. Carlos Pedersoli, that's actually the last time he's knocked out a guy. That's three years ago. Max Griffin fight, that's a quality victory. Man, I don't know. I, I actually didn't score that fight for him. And have Max Griffin really? just decide, well, I mean, it's a close fight. It's just Max Griffin just needs to wrestle a little bit earlier, right? Third round, he starts using his wrestling, and then it's the same thing with Cowboy all the time. He tires. This guy has bad gas tank. You have to wear on him a little bit to tire him out. If you tire him out, all of a sudden his game just goes completely south. Remember that fight with Yancey Medeiros once upon a time? The first couple rounds, it's like, oh, man, poor Yancey. Then the longer the fight goes, it's like, man, Cowboy just completely runs out of gas. When he does, he topples over. Fighting at 170 should be better for him. But again, I just don't really like the results that I'm seeing from him. He got out-hustled by Mike Perry. wasn't a great look. The Nicholas Dalby fight against stylistical uh, matchup and definitely favored Dalby, but he's not at the same level as he was. He's not just—he's dis disinterested. He just doesn't seem like his head's in the game anymore. Maybe he's just there collecting the paycheck. Maybe he's hoping to end up in the PFL tournament for his chance to win a million dollars instead. I don't know. Just I can't really put any faith behind him. So his last time out against Rachmanov, I'm all over Rachmanov. I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys were as well. M most people—it was like the—it was like the favorite of the week consensus. This guy's making his debut. What has he really done to this point? But again, you see Alex Oliver just come out and be disinterested. Randy Brown, straight up, this is Levy's boy because he's the guy that kind of put him on my radar. He'd always be talking about like, man, this guy's good. This guy will be good. Grappling's improving. Strike is improving. He's long. Look at that reach. Look at that height. Once he figures out how to use it, he's going to put it together. And I just didn't see it out of him. So I'm the idiot that picked Mickey Gall over Randy Brown. And so <laughs> he had Randy Brown. And honestly, dude, it's 1-1 one, one it is right because for as stupid as Gall's game plan was he does flop over and end up on top in the, th in the second probably was the second in the third it's gut check performance two young fighters but you see brown it's like this is the guy that's going to make the step forward in his career and since then you see the progression in him every time out the brian barbarina fight i mean he puts a pace on him which is what he's gonna have to do to cowboy Oliveira. you see him work him beat him up but he, his grappling's improving a lot as well and just a minute worley alves sure worley alves is really tired and he topples over and all of a sudden he turns a black belt into a white belt and snags him with the triangle choke. But it's the same case here. Tire Oliveira. Put a pace on him. He probably has a striking advantage. 
And I honestly do think he has a grappling advantage as well. Alex Oliver is very strong. He's physically very strong. But the more you cause him to grapple, the more you cause him to have to fight back, the more he's going to tire out. And with Randy Brown, low-key, he does have some decent grappling. He's been spending a lot of time on it, and I can see that as an, an additional path to victory for him. So I know, Locke, you and I spoke last night, we talked about certain props and all that. And, like, the Randy Brown by submission was plus 550. To me, I thought that was a little bit crazy, considering, you know, it's not he's the better grappler, this is a gi jiu-jitsu tournament, or this is a, a five-minute submission-only, um, you know, grappling match. This is a fist fight for 15 minutes. And the key here would be hurt this man, tire this man, drag him to some deeper waters. And then you see with Oliver, it's like he'll look at the ref, and then he looks aside, and then he gives it the tap. Like, he doesn't really fight the submissions all that much. He mostly just accepts it. And part of that's fatigue as well. But I think Brown's able to do that to him. So, yeah, I, again, and I, we've said this in all the fights. It's like, well, do we like the line, and are we confident? Like, at some point, we're going to have to nut up and make some picks, and I'm taking Randy Brown. Dan, you got to bring us that rude boy fire. I know that's your boy. Let us know what you think about this fight, buddy. Yeah, I mean, still to this day, the biggest bet I've ever made was on Randy Brown against Mickey Gall. Um, but, you know, obviously, um, Randy Brown's progressed a lot since that fight. And I like what I've been seeing, man. The volume in the Barbarana fight, uh, the opportunistic finish finishing ability against uh, Warley Alves. Um, unfortunate fight against Luke. I think you know that was just too big of a step up for him. Um, and, and I think with Randy, you know, very long striker, like you guys mentioned, he's got a great arsenal of tools on the feet. Um, he's got also some uh, submission ability to go along with it. If I had to make one criticism about Randy. You know, sometimes the in-fight decision-making might not be the best, um, and I think that's, you know, part of the process. And then also, to an extent, because I know he's a serious competitor, but sometimes I want him to be a little bit more mean in there. Like, dude, you got all these physical tools. Like, yeah, like I, I just want to see him uh, out there, you know, being a little bit more mean with these guys. And I think he started to get to that, you know, along, you know, the Brian Barbarana fight. So let's see how he rebounds. There was also some stuff that he did. He made a rookie mistake after the weigh-in for the Luke fight, which I'm not supposed to talk about. Maybe I can tell you all off air. Um, not saying that he would have won the Luke fight, you know, if that didn't happen but what i will say is he's not making that mistake for this fight he's going to show up 100 percent um and with alex cowboy you know i hate talk i hate saying a guy is you know which version is going to show up and he's hit and miss but it's so damn true when he's talking about alex cowboy man like sometimes alex cowboy will like pin these guys up against the fence and land the most brutal knees you've ever seen in your life sometimes he'll stiffen you up with one punch sometimes he'll suplex you and then other times you know he'll tap before a submission's even locked in other times he'll break down the stretch of fights that he's dominating like i remember when i max bet alex cowboy to be carlos conda and this was when carlos was on his big skid and all and down in the dumps confidence wise and you know we're doing good in the fight and all of a sudden alex get, gets his back taken thank god there were 30 seconds left on the clock and somehow he didn't quick tap that night but it's like geez alex like so uh, you know i gotta go with randy it's just you know randy's been caught with some shit that like you don't often get caught with now look nico's knocked two people off bottom right so like maybe nico just knocks people out in crazy ways maybe that's what it is but yeah, I mean, it's just Alex Oliveira is such a vet that you just can't count him out. But I do got to go with Randy. He's at a better spot in his career. He's showing progression. And um, I think this is a good matchup for him. First round, probably going to be a little competitive. But I think he pulls away second, third round. So I'm going to go Randy Brown. 
Yeah, this fight should truly tell us a lot about Brown and his progression inside the UFC, especially coming into the UFC at 6-0 and and having a bit of an up-and-down career. But this Cowboy Oliveira fight seems like perfect timing for him to go out there and show his uh, full capacity of what he has to bring to the table. All right, that wraps up the prelims for us. If you guys are joining us, if you are one of the 272 people in the live chat right now, please do hit that like. That definitely shows your boys some support. And the next week we'll be back for a different panel as well. So shout out to these guys for joining us on this Friday night. All right, let's get to the next fight here. We got, or actually, first and foremost, I do want to quickly shout out Marcin Held pulling off the, the upset victory over Natan Schultz. That's two PFL champions going down on their debut episode in uh, 2021. So another parlay buster for you guys right there. Dan, you got something to say? Man, pre, uh, Clay Collard and Pettis are fucking going to war. It's a dogfight right now. All right, all right, all right. You yeah, yeah. And, and Pettis, classic. He throws a goddamn cartwheel kick and just gives up position. Like, oh my god! What are you fucking thinking, man. Anyways, I'm I'm going for Cassius Clay, so I'll take the little moments like that. You you guys uh, can let me know if there's a big moment if if there's a finish or uh, something like that. Clay's putting it on him right now is what Perfect. I'm thinking. Yeah. I I'm I loving. I I personally I'm kind of hoping that Clay wins this fight just to burst the bubble on anybody that just. Threw Anthony Paris into a parlay for the fuck of it. <laughs> All oh, right. I hate that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to the main card here. We got Anthony Smith going up against Jimmy Crew, talking about somebody that can't do much off of his back other than that Devin Clark last time uh, uh, last time around for Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith has not been looking that good after the John Jones fight. Obviously, he gets grinded out and finished in the fifth round by Glover Teixeira. And then after that, gets grinded out by Alexander Rakic, who just didn't seem like he wanted to finish food that was just waiting there to be finished. Anthony Rakic or Alexander Rakic goes out there and gets the decision victory there. Then, luckily for Anthony Smith, he gets Devin Clark next time up. And uh, Devin Clark just doesn't seem to have anything off uh, in that top pressure game. Uh, and Anthony Smith is able to put up a uh, triangle choke and gets the victory there. Anthony Smith, one of those guys where I'm scratching my head, like, how the fuck is this guy only 32 years old and he got 50 fucking fights? I've heard a couple of inter interviews where he's saying there's a bunch of undocumented fights as well. So who knows? He's maybe in the 70 or 80 fight range at this point in time. But, uh, you know, you, you always try to write somebody off and then they come back. Like, Andre Olofsky is a guy that people were writing off way back in 2010. And then he starts making a title run almost. Fights Stipe Miocic. If he beats Miocic, probably gets a title shot. Obviously gets knocked out there. Anthony Smith actually changes weight classes, gets a tower shot against John Jones. And people are giving him credence for like making it five rounds with John Jones. But everybody who's made it five rounds with John Jones in the last couple of years hasn't won a fight other than Anthony Smith when he beat Devin Clark. You know, Yambo or uh, Dominic Reyes has gone winless. Tiago uh, Santos has gone winless. So it's not as big of a, a, a positive as people are used to make it uh, anymore. So uh, I do still lean Jimmy Crude here, though. I think his uh, top pressure is going to be a little bit too much for Anthony Smith. I think, you know, Anthony Smith obviously a solid jiu-jitsu player himself, but we don't see that often unless your name is Devin Clark. I think Jimmy, Jimmy Crude will be able to stay out of the submissions. I think he's going to be able to grind him out and possibly find a finish by the second round or so because if this fight does get into the third round we did see him start to slow down against Paul Craig even though he was able to pull off that submission victory late in that fight but like you don't want to be tired against a gamer like Anthony Smith I think as bad as Smith has looked in like two out of his last three fights I think he could still give the veteran lesson if this fight does get late and Jimmy Crude is stuck in wind but I still got to go with the younger guy here. I got to go with uh, Jimmy Crude. I think his top pressure is going to be a little bit too much. And I think his offensive nature is going to eventually find him that finish by that second round. So I'm going to go with Crude by, by finish here. And I'll let uh, Cody Soft to take us uh, through how he feels this fight is going to go. Yeah, I just, again, we were making that joke a second ago. I'm an Anthony Pettis hater. And very much so, I'm an Anthony Smith hater as well. I just... <laughs> Listen, I think these are guys, in Pettis' case, you know, he goes on a little run before the sport really, I mean, it had taken off by that point. But 
he just goes on a little run that makes it look magical. And he runs off the cage and he kicks Benson Henderson and he wins a UFC title. And all of a sudden there's just this aura of like invincibility around him. But it's like, he's, he's not, he's not that good. He's one, he could still come back and win this fight. Don't get me wrong. I just, there's something I never liked about him. Anthony Smith, the exact same thing. Listen, he's an absolute career journeyman. Loses to my boy, Josh Neer by knockout. And this is at 185 pounds. Josh Neer is a natural lightweight. His career is done. He's a career journeyman at best. Comes to the UFC. And it, right away, like the Leonardo Guimaraes fight, wins the first two rounds, almost gets TKO'd in the third. Doesn't look good. <laughs> he was hanging on for dear life in that fight. <laughs> it should have been a 10-8, man. It's honestly one of the worst positions. He just sits there. He just sits there and just eats 100 unanswered punches. It's tough to watch. But it's like, man, that, that's his debut in the UFC. Then he loses to Cesar Ferrer. This is all at 185. Andrew Sanchez fight, he's down the first two rounds, comes back in the third. Hector Lombard fight, he's down the first two rounds, comes back in the third. It's like these these miraculous little comebacks. Rashad Evans over the hill, big name though. Shogun Hua over the hill, big name though. Volkan Uzdemir, he loses the first two rounds, finishes him in the third. So it's a lot of like right place, right time. They gave him good names. They gave him guys that had status in the division that were past their prime, and they gave him these mid level guys that generally kicked his ass until they got tired and then got finished in the third round. I didn't understand why he was fighting John Jones. I think it was very generous from the UFC to put him in that spot. And once you know it, he goes five rounds at John Jones, which apparently is not that big of a deal anymore. But yet, since then, it's the same. You know, you, you book him against a top five or top ten guy, he doesn't really show up. If you give him the Devin Clarks of the world, maybe he can still make it happen. I just don't what, – what do you love out of his game? So first of all, even though he's, you know, got a good frame for 205, he's not the physically strongest guy going. His striking got a nice little jab, right? You saw him outstrike Alexander Gustafson for the first two rounds, eventually cement him in the fourth. But – it's just not a whole lot of substance behind it. He doesn't wear damage particularly well. You sting this guy. I mean, he just shells up against the cage. The fight hits the ground. He tires when he is on the ground. I mean, we talked about the Leonardo Guimaraes shelling up. He shells up exactly the same way against a guy like Glover Teixeira. Like, he just he has a willingness to take way too much damage. He's got a split decision win over a meth head that broke into his house. So dude fucking stretched him out 25 minutes, so the cops came. Like... <laughs> there's not a whole lot skill-wise that I love out of him. Now, he's smart. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a decent broadcaster. He seems like a really likable guy. I'm sure he's hardworking, but he's 50 fights into his career. He's got that wear and tear that a 32-year-old generally doesn't have. And I just think that maybe maybe it's not that interest is there, but he's already fought John Jones. He's already, he's already fought Alexander Gustafson. He's already been at the highest part of the mountain. It's time for somebody else. I like what I see out of Jimmy Crew. The one thing is that we just talked about how Anthony Smith has made a career out of beating these guys in the third round, Homer Simpson style. They just get tired of beating on him, and then they topple over. This is this is live here. I think Jimmy Crew probably knocks him out. I think Jimmy Crew could also submit him. But Jimmy Crew seems to be a first-round fighter. And if you extend Jimmy out of the first round, that's when he's going to start to have problems. He's finished so many of these fights early. The one fight with Paul Craig that went beyond the first round Holy shit, does he ever get tired? And it becomes a slop fest very quickly. That's not the kind of spot you want to be here with Anthony Smith, who's fought five rounds, who's fought five far better competition, who has the back class, and has proven to be dangerous later in the fight. So this is a good fight that you can look at it from a live betting standpoint. I'm going to pre-bet Jimmy Crute. I'm hoping Jimmy Crute takes him in the first round. If for whatever reason this thing gets to like that seven and a half minute mark, I might be live hedging out and taking Anthony Smith, who I'll get a very nice plus money tag on, but also that that's where he's going to become dangerous is later in the fight. But anyways, as far as the pre-fed bet goes, I got Jimmy Crute, and I'm going to take Jimmy Crute inside the distance. All right, Dan, give us a quick update on how that Collard and Pettis fight is going, and then you can lead into your Smith crew breakdown. Collard is beating the living I shit. I love it. I love it. Out of Pettis <laughs> in a way where 
I wouldn't be surprised if Pettis doesn't compete on the rest of this tournament. Like wow. this is a pillar to post ass whooping. Damn. Don't be surprised if Duke Rufus throws in the towel, which he oh, has yeah. no one to do is with. Is your hand hurting, Anthony? Is your hand hurting? All right. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, with that being said, there's a Clay Collard fight from back in the day. I bet my boy Cody Safting knows what I'm about to bring up. Uh, Clay Collard versus Justin Buckles, where a similar thing happened, where, just, where Clay Collard beat the living shit out of Justin Buckles, like the entire fight, and then got submitted in like the last wow. like thirty seconds, like, and it was like it was ridiculous. So let's just we gotta we gotta wait until the fat lady sings. You know what I'm saying, Always. gentlemen? You can never count the eggs. But but right now we're dealing with ten eight rounds and all that stuff. Shit. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> all right, give us that give us that crude and Smith fire now. Oh, you guys know I got Jimmy the Brute Crude. Um, yes. You know, after after we get off air, I want you to say Jimmy the Brute Crude three times as fast as you can <laughs> in in an Australian accent. Um, <laughs> but uh, look, as far as his matchups is concerned, you know, Anthony Smith is a guy I respect a lot. And, and the reason why is because, you know, Cody, I, I'm actually shocked that you stole my exact example because like, I thought I was going to be the only guy bringing up that Laleco Guimarães fight. We're like, if, 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 if you would have, if you would have told me that the guy was hanging on for dear life for a single leg against Leonardo Guimarães was going to make it to a fight with John Jones, I, I would have been like, you're out your fucking mind, man. Like that's insane. But the reality is here are the two ways that uh, Anthony Smith wins fights, the comeback, which, Hey, you know I, I love a good comeback kid. I'm a big Marlon Cheeto Vera fan, and I mean, I believe in winning by any means necessary. And if you're going to be betting on dogs, then fuck it. Get a comeback finish go, by all means. And then the other way is to go out there and destroy a washed-up legend in the first round. I just don't think that Jimmy the crew... Uh, Jimmy the Brute Crew fits that bill in either respect. Like, I don't think he's going to come out here and get comeback finished or anything like that. And plus... Those two comeback finishes against Gustafsson and Vulcan were all in the fourth round. This is a three-round fight. And the thing I love most, because you know how I, I talk about, well, we do talk about the vet lesson on half the battle, and Anthony Smith, comeback wins are not vet lessons. Vet lessons is when you take the uh, the young vet and give him a tour of the octagon. Anthony Smith ain't exactly the kind of guy that's going to give anybody a tour of anything. It's, you know, he'll catch you or he's going to lose, you know? It's one of those things. So, with, with Jimmy Cree, you brought up the Paul Craig fight, and look, I can't debate. Yeah, yeah, you look like shit in that fight, 100%, but let's, 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 let's put a little context to it. Making his UFC debut at 21 in Australia. He said his heart was beating out of his chest. He said he gassed out before he even walked into the fight. He, he just said that he's grateful to get past that experience and hope that he never has to go through that again. Because, I mean, when I watched this guy on the come up, he had, he went five rounds on his regional scene. So I, I know he's got the cardio to push. I think it was just, you know, that specific moment. It was on a huge card. It was his debut. I think he's shown a lot of maturity since then. And then the other thing I love is this. We always talk about on Half the Battle how no one is exempt from that first L unless your name is Habib. And I got to say, if Habib stuck around long enough, he'd take his first L too, but he got out at the right time and, and he did some goat shit. So I'll, I'll do respect. Um, but Basically, what I'm trying to say here is that Jimmy the Brew Crew already pulled his young stunt. He already pulled his rookie move against Misha Sirkunov, which is what you need to develop yourself to that next level. All these guys had to take embarrassing losses uh, along the way. I mean, do you remember when Benil Dariush got knocked out by Ramsey Nijem? I mean, like, dude, I can name so many damn examples <laughs> where the prospect takes that loss along the way. And that's what you need to, to reach that next level, man. And, and, and I think this is, look, 
this is your second chance at a top 15 guy. This is such a passable test. So I, I think he's going to come out here. I think he's going to put it on Anthony Smith. I mean, I think he's going to completely neutralize him. And, and I don't think he's going to get caught with something along the way. So I got to go with Jimmy the Brute Crew. And I think it might be my most confident pick on this card. All right. Dare we call it a lock of the night play from Dan Levy over here? I know you don't use the L word. I know that's a taboo in this industry, but it's good to see that you have some big confidence on that. Brett, how do you feel about this fight? Are we not giving Anthony Smith enough credit here? Does he have a chance? How are you seeing it go? I like Crude as well. And uh, Cody, you and I should chat about who else you hate because I've been shitting on Anthony Smith and Anthony <laughs> Pettis for the last half decade. My man. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, for me, Smith is just not the type of fighter that I ever pick or ever have confidence in. He just doesn't do much of anything. He doesn't land a lot of strikes and he absorbs way more strikes than he lands. He doesn't really wrestle effectively and he gets taken down at will. And he's sort of regressing as well. And Crute seems like a legit prospect. And I think, I think if Crute can fight a hard 15 minutes then he will win this fight, and I would be very confident in him. And I'm confident in him regardless, but I still – that's the concern. That's the concern I have. I think Crute is going to land strikes at a far higher rate. I think Crute has a pretty decent shot to, to earn a knockdown. And, you know, Anthony Smith, he just gets taken down so easily. He gave up 12 minutes of control in a 15-minute fight to Alexander Rakic and landed nine strikes in that fight. It just – it's – it's not going to be that difficult for Crute to outproduce him from an offensive standpoint. And Devin Clark, you know, lost the fight, but uh, got him on the ground pretty instantly from my recollection. And and Crute had that outstanding performance against Alexijic, where he attempted 10 takedowns in the first round, landed eight of them. He just has a lot of tools, and Smith really doesn't have any tools. And you guys talked about all the reasons why I don't like Smith and the, the, the comeback type of performances are frustrating from him. That's kind of one of the only ways he wins. And I feel like that is his path to victory once again. I don't see him beating Crute minute for minute. I think Crute has a lot more skills than him. I think Crute can control him on the mat, but there's a chance that Crute gets tired, especially if he thinks he can submit Anthony Smith. That might be tough. And if he gets him on the ground and gasses himself out trying to you know, finish him or, or submit him, he might slow down. And that's when we could see Anthony Smith take over. And you know, as much as Crute has been impressive, he hasn't fought to decision Ever in the UFC, he got close against Paul Craig, and in his last four fights, they've all ended in the first round. So as much as I want to just wipe it away and assume his cardio is better, assume he's going to be this great prospect we all want him to be, there's still a possibility that his cardio isn't up to standard, and that's where I think he's most likely to get exposed. But I'm on the Crute bandwagon as well, um, and I'm hoping he rolls on Saturday. Yeah, the cardio thing is a very interesting thing to, to to try to figure out, right? The one that comes to mind is Edmund Shabazzian. He shows horrible cardio against Darren Stewart in their third round, wins that fight by decision. And then going into the Derek Brunson fight, you know, my concern for Shabazzian was that cardio. And everybody's like, dog, he's young, he's he's fixed it. You know, he's going to go out there and, and beat him pillar to post for however long he needs to. And we saw what happens in that fight. The cardio rears its ugly head. So hopefully for Jimmy Crute, we can as a betting fan, we can see him go out there and write those rungs and we can see it with our own eyes that he can go a hard three rounds, uh, you know, without gassing out completely. But that again is remain to be seen. Uh, 
it seems like Anthony Pettis almost got to finish and pulled off the comeback here. Is the fight over with, Dan? I know you're still watching it. What's going on over there? Yeah, it went the full distance, so I'm expecting some 10-8s. And uh, Pettis actually kind of slightly dropped him with a head kick in the last, like, 30 seconds, but... He, even with that, he might have still lost this round. You know? Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, all right. It's, a, it's a guaranteed decision win for Collard unless we see the the greatest robbery of, <laughs> of all time. Uh, unless I see your mouse drop to your fucking desk, I won't ask you about it. I'm going to assume that Clay Collard won this fight. All right. Let's get into the next one here. We got a rematch between Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall, a fight that happened over 11 years ago over in a ring of combat where Chris Weidman got, it, got his hand raised via first round KO. Cody, you can lead us off on this one. How are you feeling about it? Do you think Uriah Hall exacts his revenge this weekend, or do you think Weidman gets it done once again? Okay, so again, I can see live underdog here for Raya Hall. This is another spot we talked about. Just the longer that you can extend this fight, the more opportunity you'll have. Theoretically speaking, Chris Mywin, we've seen him to the absolute best guys that ever fought in the sport. Luke Rockhold, Yoel Romero, Jacques-Ferry Souza, Gegard Mousasi. Like, th these guys are catching him later on the fight, no doubt about it. Do we expect Hall to do that? We have seen him do it. We have seen him catch opponents later. We have seen that... You know, if he's still in the fight, that he can throw a flying, he can throw a spinning kick, he can throw something that you might not see coming. And with Wyman, his cardio looks awful. But, dude, what a hell of a stat, eh? That Wyman's had 16 fights in the UFC and he's taken down all 16 opponents at least once. Like, the man has never not taken down an opponent. The problem with him getting a little bit older and getting a little bit, you know, he's just banged up. He's got a bad neck. He's got a bad hip. He's got a bad knee. He's got a bad shoulder. He's starting to just, you know, pick up all that mileage of an aging fighter is that his cardio just doesn't seem to be there anymore. I mean, yes, this was a time that there was a time where he was a decorated champion. He could fight five rounds, but it just seems like those days aren't there anymore. Now the Almariak Madoff fight, everyone keeps talking about the fact about how gassed he was in that spot, gassed out in the second round. All that fight was, was grappling from both guys. I mean, he scores five takedowns on Almariak Madoff. Akhmadov takes him down four times. Akhmadov is just, dude, he's got a vein going through his bicep, looks like a garden hose, man. Like, he's <laughs> so shredded up, ready to go, that it was like, they're both tired, but it's a grueling pace, so to speak. And when we talked about earlier with uh, Brendan Allen's quote, um, saying, you know, would you expect, I don't expect this thing to go 15 minutes and to it not hit the ground at, one, uh, at some point. I feel the same way in this spot. Chris Wyman gets all these guys down at some point. It's what he's able to do with that. With Uriah Hall, he doesn't got a great get-up game. We've seen the, Antarlos, the Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. Once he did get taken down, he did get control a little bit. It's that the second or third round, Carlos Jr., too tired to get the fight to the ground. Hall just stays to the outside, you know, hits him with a jab. The Anderson Silva fight, he arguably drops the first two rounds to Anderson Silva on the basis of not doing anything. Again, though, we have seen people do that when they fight Anderson just because, you know, he is a goat in a lot of people's opinions. They look up to him. They don't really push that pace on him. So, what do you expect out of him? You know, he's late 30s now. Takedown defense has always been an issue, although it's something that he has been addressed. He's live the later these fights goes. It, it all makes up that he is live underdog. But the more you think about it, the more you, you really ponder the idea of what's the most likely scenario is that Wyman is able to at least secure takedowns for the first two rounds and then, then on that basis survive that third. Easier said than done. And we've seen if anybody's going to blow it in the third round, it's going to be Chris Weidman. But one's got to imagine that he should be the pre-fight favorite. He is the slight pre-fight favorite. I can't say I completely disagree with that. If you're looking to chase for dogs, if you're looking for dogs with an opportunity, Hall would be one of them. If you like betting those third-round props, you know, this guy to finish this guy in the third round, again, Hall's a guy that has these third-round finishes. Wyman's a guy that has been finished in the third. It is kind of a, a trend for both guys throughout their careers. Maybe he is live dog. 
that I think I'm going to cower it out here and go back to Team Weidman and, and think that just he gets the takedowns going. I'm kind of surprised in the amount of people that are as confident in Weidman as they are, which is why the line is starting to stretch to that minus 130 range for uh, Chris Weidman. Dan, are you giving Weidman a shot like most people seem to be doing this week, or are you just hitting a hard pass here? No, I mean, I give him a shot to win the first round, just like he wins the first round in every single fight he's been in, minus the Dominic Reyes fight. And I also give him a chance to land takedowns in the first round, just like he's done in pretty much every single fight in his UFC career. I mean, death, taxes, and uh, Chris Weidman's going to hit that single leg in round one. So we can go ahead and accept that. No big deal. But uh, guess who's one of the best uh, comeback KO artists of all time? And guess who's got a very weak chin? Guess who's been knocked out in five of his last seven fights? And guess who uh, consistently gets second or third round knockouts so i mean look first round chris i hope you get that first round arm triangle buddy because in round two when you're huffing and puffing that's when the flying knee and the spinning kick and Tell i mean look, look this this fight goes to decision okay yeah let's favor chris there uh, we understand and we understand uriah hall is not going to come out here with some volume style we understand uriah hall barely throws i get it but when uriah hall does throw Bodies hit the floor. Ask Gegard Mousasi. Ask uh, Chris Jocko. Ask Bevan, who actually looked good in that fight, but his soul was taken from Uriah, and he was never the same ever again. Ask the great Anderson Silva. I mean, we can say, oh, he's 40 years old. Hey, Izzy Adesanya didn't finish Anderson Silva. Daniel Cormier didn't finish Anderson Silva. So, I mean, look, man, uh, I think it's going to be another comeback knockout win for uh, Uriah Hall here. And um, I just think he's at a better place in his career. So Uriah Hall, second or third round knockout. All right. Uh, you're probably the only other guy that I've heard this week that has this, not con I'm going to say confident, but like I'm not right into the betting window to bet Uriah Hall at the spot either. But again, I believe you broke it down perfectly here. And I think the only spot that has value is that KO line for Uriah Hall. Brett, are you going to swing us back to the Whiteman side for this podcast? How, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, the only lock on this podcast was that Dan was going to pick Uriah Hall <clears throat> to knock out Chris <laughs> Weidman. Um, and and obviously the argument for it is is a good one. Uh, it's very likely that Hall can damage Weidman at some point and, and finish him. I don't trust Weidman's durability at all. But at the same time, in the way that I project fights, uh, if you tell me that Chris Weidman is guaranteed one takedown, he's taking down all of his opponents. If he's guaranteed one takedowns, I, I think he probably should be favored in this matchup. It, it One takedown could equal literally the end of the fight. It could equal a dominant round. Um, and then it just it, it makes it difficult for Hall to come back. And it wasn't that long ago where the you know, comeback kid Uriah Hall badly hurt Carlos Jr. in the first round and then in round three got taken down and gave up his back and got controlled for literally like all of five minutes so i know carlos jr and chris weidman are not the same fighter but carlos jr ain't exactly uh mr cardio out there either so and as much as weidman did look tired against akhmadov and he didn't you know he's not his championship self anymore he still landed five takedowns and he fought through it and he won round three so look if weidman lands one to two takedowns is he still guaranteed to win the fight no but i think he has a big advantage in top position and that's probably enough that's enough for me to at least favor him in this matchup so i, I do have a little bit of a bias toward grapplers but i just think they they win at a higher rate and i you know based on the the stylistic matchup here we can project weidman for some 
take down uh, equity. And I think that's enough to at least favor him, favor him in the matchup. And I'm going to pick him uh, tentatively to get the job done. Yeah, I feel like if we didn't have that Omari Akhmedov fight last time around to distance us from him getting deaded in his whatever Dan brought up, seven of his last eight fights or whatever the fuck it was, I think people <laughs> would be more so inclined to be betting Uriah Hall here, even given like the low output style of Uriah Hall, right? That's one thing that we can really uh, we can really bang on him for is the fact that he just doesn't throw that often. But when he does, like Dan said, body sit the floor. And Chris Weidman, I truly believe, still has a very bad chin issue. And I think it's going to come to fruition once again this weekend. And I, I'm going to – I like Uriah Hall here. But, again, the only spot that I'll probably bet, even with a little bit of lunch money, is probably that, that knockout prop, plus 245 for Uriah Hall to, to, to knock him out. I think that's a great line um, given what we know about both guys here. So, yeah, Chris Weidman, go ahead. Get that first-round takedown, which you always get. But my man Uriah Hall showed great submission defense against Antonio Carlos Jr. last time around. Is Chris Weidman going to be the one to submit him here? I'm not sure. I don't. I'm pretty certain that Uriah Hall has never been submitted in his career either. I'd be surprised if it's you know 2021 version of Chris Weidman that actually ends up getting it done. So at a certain point, just like Amanda Hibas and Michelle or Marina Rodriguez um, uh, a couple months ago, you know what I mean. It's, the fight plays are on the floor for the first five minutes. It's on the feet for a couple seconds, and uh, Marina Rodriguez puts her lights out. And that's what I expect to see here with Uriah Hall. So expect to be biting your nails for the majority of this if you have a Uriah Hall ticket. But he should come through with that victory for us with that win, so uh, with that knockout. All right, let's get to the next fight here. And it's the first of three title fights that we got up. We got the flyweight cutter on, uh, on the line here. I believe it is the fifth defense that Valentina Shevchenko is looking to go out there and complete against Jessica Andrade this weekend. Uh, Dan, I'll let you hit the shit up. Uh, get us started here, buddy. Yeah, I mean, so I'm definitely more intrigued for this fight than uh, Valentina's last few. I mean, when you told me Valentina oh, yeah. was... I mean, when you told me Valentino was fighting Jennifer Maya and Caitlin Chukagan, I kind of felt like, dude, do I even have to watch this shit? Like, I mean, it's like such a foregone conclusion that she's going to destroy them. And it's like, whereas like, you know, because I mean, like with Chukagan, it's like, oh, she's known for the tennis sounds. Wow, that's real threatening to Valentina. And Jennifer Maya, you know, no, no one knew who she was last year. So, it, it, no, you know, and I know I know I'm, you know, dismissing them a little bit. I'm just trying to be funny. But look, the bottom line is that and look. Jennifer Maya took her down one of those rounds. That was kind of interesting. And here's the thing. Je uh, Jessica Andrade, like, I actually, like, really respect her. I respect anyone that steps in the cage. But, I mean, Jessica Andrade, I've seen her pick girls up like Matt Hughes, slam them over her head. I've seen her go out there, knock girls out with one punch. Um, I've seen her do a lot of cool shit. I've seen her slam uh, Rose Namajunas on her head. So, you know I'm a fan of Jessica Andrade. And, uh, man, um. Oftentimes, I talk about in the women's uh, divisions that pa power overrides technique. Uh, it, it really does a lot of the time. It's just that power is not going to override technique when you're talking about Valentina Shevchenko. And even though I'm much more interested in watching this fight than I would be in like Caitlin Chukagan or Jennifer Maya, stylistically, this might actually be an easier fight for Valentina. The reason being is that Jessica Andrade gets hit a lot, and that's going to work against all these other girls, but against Valentina, you don't want to be eating these clean shots and then just come forward and, you know, land some of your own. Um, that That's just... This is the wrong person to do that against. So, I mean, I guess she's got to get it to the ground. We maybe have seen a little takedown defense weakness from Valentina here or there. I just don't see it happening, man. And I honestly think this goes under four and a half rounds. I'm going to go Valentina inside the distance here. 
I like it. But pre-fight, Jessica Andrade always looks like an intimidating person. But once you see her in the cage and getting out-techniqued by her competition, then you're like, oh, all right. We're still, we're still getting the same Jessica Andrade here. Brett, how do you break this fight down? Yeah, I think this sets up pretty well for Shevchenko. I mean, Andrade is a fighter I like to back because just of the way that I, I again, project fight. She lands strikes at a very, very high rate, 6.38 per minute, and she's, you know, landed 141, 131, 117, 206. She lands big numbers of strikes, and she also lands more than three takedowns per minute, 10 takedowns against Tisha Torres. But she excels in a way where she can just bully opponents. And, like, this seems perfectly set up for Shevchenko because Shevchenko doesn't necessarily like to lead. And if she's going to have, you know, um, Andrade is much smaller than her. If I pull up the numbers, Andrade is, you know, four inches shorter, four inches less of reach. Um, there's a reason she dropped down to strawway. And I think, you know, she's going to have to close the distance. She doesn't have range striking tools to beat Valentina Shevchenko. She needs to take her down or she needs to basically box her up in the clinch, win by knockout. And I just think she's going to get pieced apart, closing distance. Valentina Shevchenko is so much more technical, um, a larger frame, more precise. And I think there's a good chance she hurts Andrade badly and finishes her. I also even think Shevchenko is a better wrestler. Maya uh, taking down Shevchenko did concern me a little bit, but... Jennifer Maya might be a better control grappler than Andrade. Andrade isn't necessarily a control grappler. She just picks you up over her head and tosses you to the ground, but she's, you know, it's strength, it's physicality. It's not like a precision speed and, and control. So I just think this is a really tough matchup stylistically for Andrade. And I like the inside the distance on Shevchenko. I think she probably knocks Andrade out if the fight plays out on the feet and I think she could take her up and, and take her down and beat her up on the mat as well. I'm less confident about that, about her finishing on the mat, but um, Andrade isn't a spectacular defensive wrestler, and Shevchenko is honestly becoming one of the best wrestlers, one of the best female wrestlers in the sport. Um, that's really where she's made her hay in recent fights, and I just think she's better than Andrade everywhere and pretty likely to dominate this fight, but... You know, I've I've overlooked Andrade at spots too, so um, I like Dan. I'm actually excited for to watch this one. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that you brought up the wrestling aspect of Shevchenko's game recently because that's something that she's been leaning on, right? And especially that Jennifer Maya takedown or takedown. It was uh, actually Valentina initiating the takedown. She makes a little bit of a mistake. Jennifer uh, Maya ends up on top and she grinds out the, the rest of that round. And then the rest of the fight, you see her landing similar takedowns uh, and you see Valentina actually controlling it uh, properly. So she she made the adjustments that she needed to and she didn't give up, a take, uh, give up another takedown for the rest of that fight. It was hilarious seeing her go from minus 2,500 after round one down to minus 350 after round two and then all the way back up to minus 5,000 after round three or round four. But that's Valentina Shevchenko, man. I, I don't think that she has much cause for concern here in terms of getting knocked out. Her durability seemed to be pretty on point. She's eaten some big shots from Amanda Nunes in the past. Well, bets probably has more power than Andrade on the feet given their, their stature alone. 
Uh, but I do like Valentina in this fight. It's you know it's a no brainer here. Um, I'd be surprised if Andrade wins this fight. I think her path to victory more likely to win is not the knockout that a lot of people are thinking, but I think it's like if she truly ends up being the stronger woman in the clinch and just decides to be boring for one fight ever and just push Valentina up against the cage and try to get enough control time to win three rounds. But I, I just can't see that happening. I truly can't see that happening. The only real improvements that we've been seeing from Andrade since he's been in the UFC is she moves her head a little bit more, but she's still getting dinged, right? So that's the, it doesn't really solve anything if it doesn't really uh, fix your issues and you're still going out there and getting out techniqued by these much better fighters. And Valentina, let's be honest, she's the 125 women's goat at this point in time. I don't see anybody slowing her down. There's nobody in the in the rear view right now that's coming up on her. Like, there's a reason Jessica Andrade gets a title shot after one win over Catelyn Chikagian and a fighter who like, you know, Chikagian definitely couldn't take the power in that fight. But uh, again, if if Chukagin had a little bit more durability, that's a prime fight for Andrade to go out there and get 30-27 just by getting outworked on the feet, right? Just staying at distance and landing that jab at distance. But Valentina, great striking all around, great spinning back kick, great kicks up the middle, uh, and great combinations on the outside. The way that she was able to outstrike Holly Holm over five rounds, I think that gets overlooked a little bit too much because everybody thought if this fight stays on the feet, Holly Holm probably boxes her up. And... She was setting up traps. Her lead hook was landing very well in that fight, and I expected to do the same thing here against Jessica. So I like Valentina. I gave a little bit too much uh, credit to Jessica Andrade's durability, uh, and I thought Valentina would win by win by a decision, and I'll stick with that. But we'll see. Maybe Andrade's uh, bullheaded attitude of just marching forward and trying to land big shots is going to eventually get her uh, knocked out in this fight. But I'll go with the decision. Cody, uh, wrap, wrap this uh, fight up for us. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I got to agree with everybody here. I think Valentina Shevchenko, are we interested? Yes, <clears throat> because it figures to be at least a more difficult task than she has been facing. But yeah, I think things remain the same. You know what? When you're that great, people just start looking at performances of like, what can they knock on it? And Amanda Nunez is in a similar position where it's like, well, she didn't look great in that Jermaine Durandy fight. And she didn't look fully interested in that Felicia Spencer fight. But it's like, you're just trying to nitpick stuff. And then you you know, you see her go out there against Megan Anderson, and it's just a reminder of, like, yeah, she's one of the best in the world, The actually is the best in the world to do it. It's that, you know, supreme back class. Valentina goes out there, and she just handily defeats these fighters. So if you want to look back at the Liz Carmouche fight, it's really boring and slow output. If you want to look back at the Jennifer Maya fight, maybe she lost the first round. Again, we're just nitpicking. We're nitpicking greatness. She's the best 125-pound fighter to ever fight in this division. Uh, she seems to be leaps above the rest of the competition. And quite honestly, I mean, she's in a pretty unique situation where if, if Wiley Zhang keeps winning, then they're going to end up booking a, a super fight between Shevchenko and Zhang. If she was to win that and she ends up getting a super fight against Amanda Nunez, you would be able to like, in theory, be like, I got all the titles from 115 to 145. I beat both champions and conceivably Valentina could do it. She is that talented at 33 years old. You know, is she starting to get dis disinterested? I I'm not sure. But, yeah, she mixes in her takedowns extremely well. She's taken down every opponent she's fought in the UFC except for one. That was Amanda Nunes in the rematch. First fight, she did manage to take her down as well and wins that third round on, on the basis of the takedown. But, I mean, she's got the, the wrestling in her back pocket. She's got the striking if she needs to lean on it. Her volume's not great, but, I mean, she's a, a very good uh, counter puncher. And the Holly Holm fight, it was almost like she wanted to make a point of being like, I can outstrike Holly Holm, and she did. And you just see, again, where this is someone that wherever whatever you can do, I can do better. But she's got really good ring IQ and just knows where to get the fight to where she wants it. And Josh will be probably the best opponent she's faced in a while. And Josh will be live those first couple rounds. If you want to try to bet this thing live, you might be get, a, get a better price on Shevchenko if it is a competitive first and second round. 
But ultimately, I think that this thing is going to go five rounds or at least into the third, fourth, and fifth round. And that's going to be where Shevchenko is going to shine. With Andraj, we talk about she's a good striker, but she's not a great striker. When you see her fight face great strikers, she's in trouble. That first Rose Namajunas fight, she's a 10-8 first round. She's absolutely beat pillar to pose. She's got a 62-inch reach. And she's five, five foot two with a 62-inch reach. She's, it's very difficult for her to close the distance, right? So the first Rose fight, you see that on full display. And then she slams her on her head, and she gets the Wiley fight. And Wiley really exposes her. And that this is what elite level striking is, just versus good level striking. She comes in there, she wings those bombs. Just like we talked about, you know, that John, that John Lineker style. Carolina Cariosi is going to try to do a similar game plan. Go in there, close the distance, wing those bombs. But against a potented, good counter puncher, seen it, done it, they're going to intercept you. They're going to pick you off. They're going to beat you to the punch. And that's what I expect to happen here. And then on top of that, she can mix in the wrestling when she needs it. So I guess Shevchenko, I'm going to chase that Shevchenko by decision. And then uh, the spot I kind of like the best was the over three and a half. But again, it's fighting, you know, and anything could take a turn for the worst at any minute. Yeah, this should definitely be a good test for Shevchenko, considering there's not much else for her at 125 pounds, so I'm not too mad at it. All right, let's get to our co-main event, and easily the fight that I'm looking forward to the most this weekend. I think Rose definitely has the loudest spark out of all the dogs in the championship fights. Dan, kick this one for us. Uh, kick this one off for us, my guy. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Wiley Zhang, when you talk about one of the most improved fighters, uh, I mean, let's just follow... Her UFC career, man. I mean, goes in there against uh, Daniel Taylor and, you know, does, <clears throat> doesn't have the best performance, but, you know, first time out of China. And, and like we were talking about earlier with the other Chinese prospects, that, that first time out of China, that flight takes a lot out of you. So she was still able to, you know, suck it up, get that win. Next fight, Jessica Aguilar handles it accordingly, destroys her first round. Then it's like, hey, now you're fighting Tisha Torres. And Tisha Torres has been perennial top 10 like her whole career. And you've seen what happened recently, those last two fights, when people aren't quite ready for the Tisha Torres test. Uh, Wiley Zank passes it with flying colors. And then there's not even a couple more steps. And then it's like, all right, now you're fighting Jessica Andrade for the title. So it's like she's getting like, she's taking like huge steep uh, steps every single time. Goes out there, knocks out Jessica in under a minute, which like, that's like unheard of. And then it's like, all right, well, uh, let's see what you got over a five-round duration. Let, let's put you in with the best striker in the history of uh, the division, the greatest champion in the history of the division that go out there and have the fight of the year. I know it was a split decision. I kind of thought uh, Wiley clearly won the fight. That's just my opinion. Um, but bottom line, regardless who he scored it for, I think it's pretty evident the progression that she's been making and also just her toughness, man. I mean, like she's got the well-rounded skill set. She, she's got the athletic tools, but like, how about her will to win? How about the fact that when, uh, anytime Joanna landed something immediately, Wiley's firing back and yeah. answering. And, and those are the kind of things that Rose Nama Yunus ain't going to like. I mean, like, look, I have seen Wiley get wobbled. I know Rose hits hard. Granted, one KO on, on her career, even though some of the other ones, she's dropped people and then choked them out choke them out so depends how you want to view that so maybe rose can you know really damage her early but we've seen time and time again and i'm not just referring to that last fight against jessica andrage where jessica broke her in that third round what about uh, a ufc 201 in atlanta georgia when i cashed a plus two feet uh plus 215 underdog ticket on carolina kovakevich to beat rose nama Yunus? now how how did she do it gentlemen the exact way that uh 
that Wiley Zhang is going to win this fight, which is take over in the second and third round. Let Rose look. Rose is a great athlete. Rose has fantastic speed, great footwork. She shows moments of brilliance. She's got an opportunistic uh, finishing ability with her subs as well. Like she, she's great. It's just the mental part of the thing is you start to stand up to someone like Rose and, and she breaks and. Wiley is indestructible. You're going to have to kill this girl to put her out. And hey, Rose, if you land that death blow, you landed on Joanna, who I was actually kind of calling Chinny prior to that fight. Um, they, like, If I had to make a criticism for Joanna, it wasn't her amazing like point fighting, her, her Euro kickboxing. Like, that, I wasn't going to criticize that. Her takedown defense has gotten a lot better, too. Like, If I had to criticize one thing about Joanna, may, maybe the chin a little bit. She got knocked out in that fight. It was what it was. Um, I think Wiley bottom line can uh, take over down the stretch and just show just show a different will to win. And honestly, another thing, just like I mentioned that we see a different Wiley every time, you know, it's been over a year since she's fought. So I'm expecting these big improvements. I'm expecting a completely different version. Like when you go through a fight like she went through with Joanna, that's a learning experience for someone like Wiley. And I, I I, I honestly like this might be a hot take, but I, I think this might be the last time we see Rose Namajunas inside the UFC. I mean, she retired after the first Jessica Andrade fight. Um, I mean, there's just so many things going on in that head of hers. Um, I think uh, Wiley uh, Zhang retires her Saturday night. I don't blame you for making that pro proclamation, man. We know that she has something going on up there, and after fighting a girl like Wiley Zhang, it might change everything in her head. Brett, how are you feeling about this fight, brother? Well, I thought Yun Jacek won that fight, clearly. No, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm mostly kidding. But in, in all seriousness, like, Zhang put up a performance against Yun Jacek that, not that I didn't expect that it was possible for her, but I just didn't think that was necessarily in her wheelhouse. And, yeah, she didn't win a single round unanimously, and she didn't outstrike Yun Jacek in any of the rounds either. But obviously she landed strikes at a very high rate, far better than I've ever seen in her entire career. And she lands with a lot of power. So um, if she fights against Rose like she fought against Yun Jacek, pace being part of it, I think she definitely should be favored in this matchup, and I think she probably wins comfortably. Um, you know, Nami Yunus is a veteran, and she's fought uh, good competition throughout a lot of her career, and she has championship victories that have gone five rounds, but she doesn't have the greatest volume either. I was on her against Andrade in the rematch because it was only three. I was really big on Andrade against Nami Yunus the first time because it was five rounds. And then the opposite, I was on Nami Yunus against Andrade because it was three rounds. And that's just a better style for Nami Yunus. But it was really concerning to see her win two rounds, you know, fairly comfortably and then completely drop off in round three. And maybe her cardio is better here, but it just doesn't make me confident that Nami Yunus can fight a hard paced 25 minute, battle like we now know Zhang can and also you know as much as i would love to talk about nami Yunus's grappling she hasn't really landed many takedowns in her last you know four fights she's landed one takedown i think it's a path to victory for her but Zhang hasn't given up a takedown in her ufc career so it's hard to really bank on that aspect either i guess for me the question is do i favor Zhang mildly or moderately and the reason why i would be hesitant to like back her at her current betting line is just because I, I think that the fight could be close um i know people think 
Zhang can or will knock Nami Yunus out, but she's been generally durable throughout her career. And if the fight plays out for 25 minutes and we like we say it goes to decision, no, Nami Yunus doesn't absorb that many strikes. She's fought competitively with the majority of her competition. I, I just wouldn't be surprised. Again, going back to the fact that Zhang didn't even win a, a unanimous round against Yan Jacek. There, there's there's certainly um path to victory for Rose that just come to to like come to fruition just from being a competitive fight um rounds being close judges seeing rounds different ways but ultimately i think you have to favor Zhang. i think she's gonna outstrike rose i think she's gonna land more effectively and i wouldn't be surprised if she even wrestled a little bit too and if the cardio is not there for rose this could turn into it could turn into a one-sided beatdown and um yeah another fight that i'm excited to watch yeah, I'd be kind of surprised if we saw a grappling heavily approach from Wally Zhang here. Like, I think the the skills of Rose uh, and her jiu-jitsu game has kind of been swept under the rug considering her last four or five fights have all been striking contests, right? Like, it, it wasn't that long ago where she's, like, throwing up flying arm bars and all that type of shit. Like, she does have a solid jiu-jitsu game under, under her sleeves, but she's just been forced to strike as of late. So I don't see her taking down Zhang here, and I'd be very surprised if we see Zhang actually attack the, the grappling. Uh, the one thing that Dan brought up that I really liked about uh, – the Yuana fight is every time Yuana was throwing a combination, you see Zhang finishing that combination with a counter of her own. She's the one like having the last word in all of those exchanges. And it seems like it's popping. Like those, those shots are heavy. Those shots are like coming with confidence and coming with a lot of sauce on them. And I think that's where it's going to eventually break rows the longer this fight goes. I think it's it's been beaten to beaten to death this week in terms of how Zhang wins this fight, which is the longer it goes, the more his the more her combinations are going to wear on Rose, and Rose should start to slow down, and then she'll probably give up a knock uh, knockout uh, later this fight goes. So one of the props that I dropped on the the prop and you up show last night with Cody was Zhang round four plus fourteen hundred, Zhang round five plus nineteen hundred. I think those are worth a little bit of a sprinkle here, considering everything that we've seen. Now Dan did also bring up the fact that she, it's been close to fourteen months since we've seen her inside the cage, but I think that's the proper amount of time you got to take off, considering a fight like that. Man, that was one of the craziest fights we'll ever fucking see. And uh, I'm glad that they laid it all out there for us. It props to Joanna's chin, though, right? Like, she was able to take so many crazy clean shots. Her head was snapping back so many times. And it just shows you the amount of power that Zhang carries in her strikes. And I just don't see how Rose stands up to that for the majority of uh, 25 minutes. Uh, adding to the fact that Joanna and Rose uh, two fight, uh, one thing that Joanna did very well in that fight was she was landing the leg kicks at the ending of her combinations. And it started to slow down Rose the more the fight went. The one thing that Zhang does is it seems like she starts her combinations with kicks, which are great, I think, because not a lot of people are expecting punches to come right after that. And that's something that Zhang does very well. She's very quick with the two. And again, her power is going to be levels above what Rose brings to the table here. So, yeah, I like Zhang here. I think she's the livest to get the finish here. Um, I'm expecting her to get it done maybe round four or round five. Uh, and, yeah, Rose is the livest dog, I agree. Like, just as the odds are indicating, she is the livest dog out of the three title fights. But I just – I still think she ends up coming up short here. So I got Zhang. I got Zhang fourth, fifth round TKO, uh, and she retains once again. Cody, how are you feeling about this one, brother? Yeah, I think Zhang breaks her down. I mean, Zhang kind of, like, unlocked a, a new level. You know, it's called leveling up. You got to go through these yeah. trials and tribulations to get – that's exactly what happened in the Joanna fight. Listen, prior to that, you can be pessimistic. Oh, did she beat Danielle Taylor? <laughs> Whatever. Jessica Aguilar? Don't even get me started on that one. Uh, Tisha Torres? Well, you know, Tisha Torres is a gatekeeper of the division. and Doubles her up on strike counts. Take her down twice. You know, impressive enough. But, you know, it's just a, it's just a middling top five, top ten fighter. Jessica dropped. Lucky punch. 
But then the in Jacek fight, that's where you see it all comes together. So you're taking on, you know, if not the best striker of the division, one of the best strikers that's ever been in the division. Uh, someone who go tit for tat, five hard rounds. She shows she's got the cardio. She shows she's got the perseverance. She's got the durability. She's got a good chin. She's got all these these variables, these intangibles that you would want out of a great champion. She takes Joanna's best shots, and she busts her head up and gives her a hematoma. It's an unbelievably close fight. It's an un- unbelievably skillful fight, and it just really shows you like what this girl's made out of and what she's capable of. She had never been to those deep waters before, so to see her go make it that far and swim and, and look good doing it, great. I only expect better and better from her moving forward. Rose Namajunas, it's kind of like the book kind of already been written a little bit on her. She, you pressure her, you break her mentally, that's where you're going to have your best success against her. This is actually like a, a repetitive theme throughout the course of her c- career, really. Her first loss in the UFC against Carla Esparza, she actually looked pretty good in the first round. Carla is able to take her into those deeper waters and break her. Sure, that's a long time ago. We'll give her the pass there. Her next loss is Karolina Kovalkiewicz, right? If you remember that fight, she wins the first round on all three judges' scorecards. The longer the fight goes, her output falls off. And as her output falls off, she's getting out kickboxed by Karolina Kovalkiewicz of all people, right? Then you look at the first Joanna fight. She knocks her out in the first round. So you don't get to see that pressure getting built on her. But in the second Joanna fight, Everybody remembers Rose winning. And rewatching it back, I still thought Rose won 2 2 going into the fifth and wins the fifth. But it's interesting to know Joanny and Jacek outstruck her at all five rounds. She outstruck her 24 21 in the first, 25 to 20 in the second, 30 to 19 in the third, 38 to 22 in the fourth, and 28 to 23 in the fifth. All five rounds outstrikes her. But you know what? The takedown for Rose, we're going to end up giving it her. But you see, it's the same progression here. The first time they fought, she knocked her in the first round. The second time, she falls apart in rounds three and four, gets severely outstruck, loses those two rounds for sure, and then has to rely on coming back in the fifth. That you, you look at the Jessica Andrade fight the first time, really hot start, and then gets slammed on her head. Okay, well, it was a fluky slam. Run it back. Very hot start, loses in the third round. And actually, uh, Apley ripped it right from my head, dude. I did the exact same thing. I had Jessica Andrade in the first fight over Rose on the basis of its five rounds. Because just like I'm saying here, the key to beating Rose is to just take her into those dirty waters. Take her, make her have to, you know, self-doubt. Break her physically. Get to her. And in a five-round fight, I figured she was going to have her opportunity. She goes out there, she slams her. They rebook it as a three-round fight. And I'm on Team Rose. Thinking, you know what? All she's got to do is stay to the outside, use the superior striking, win those first two rounds. But in the third round, I felt the exact same way I did in the first one. If this is five rounds, Rose not winning. She's falling apart at the end of the third round. She's getting busted up bad at the end of the third round. And again, when you look at the numbers, they absolutely fall apart. She's hitting at a 25% clip in the third round, accuracy-wise. Accuracy falls off. Volume falls off. This is the third round. So Zhang's going to give her a serious problem. Now, I know I've mentioned this on a couple spots so far in the card. If you're looking to bet fights live, this would be a good fight to bet live for Wiley Zhang, I think, because the first two rounds are going to be very competitive. Rose is a very good kickboxer. Chin, not an issue. I mean, realistically, she's been knocked out one time. Got slammed on her head. The atomic slam from hell. You give her a pass there. Submission game, I really don't think Wiley's submitting her. So she's durable. She's a durable fighter. And she will be competitive in those first two rounds. But the longer this thing goes, those punch stats are going to start adding up. Damage is going to start adding up. You know, her self-doubt is going to start adding up. I know she went on record saying, you know, better dead than red. It's like, yeah, well, your wish is my command, girl. Uh, Let me see if you have the same attitude after three rounds. Because uh, Wiley's going to put it on her. So I, I got Zhang eventually. She might break her late. You know, I want to chase one of these decision props as I usually do. But beyond that, I probably just put it as a parlay piece. 
and uh, and hope that she gets the job done one way or another. But I really like Zhang. Like she brings to the table. She doesn't need to fabricate some political beef in order to get amped up for this fight. She just is amped up for this fight, and uh, I see good things from her. So I'm gonna take uh, the champ to retain. And on that topic, uh, Cody, I've noticed when they start saying you know some dumb shit and, and you know <laughs> the fights tend not to go their way i mean I, I remember kevin holland talking about having dildos in his car before the brunson fight I, when i heard i mean i already knew the takedown defense was an issue but when i heard that i was oh, oh he's not winning yeah. um, to, to bring a personal example uh, my, my friend jared made a couple uh regretful uh regretful comments that i was when i heard that i was, I was, I was, like, I was like wait what like shit i should have told the interviewer never to let that be released and then uh now uh rose nami Yunus uh just had to go there didn't she and i mean listen the principle of you know i'm not to get into this shit, but you guys know i ain't standing up for you know communism trust yeah. me i'm not at all but like to act like why lee represents that like the, does she have a choice like got like rose said some dumb shit and uh saturday night live at the ufc uh, no it's not the apex live in, Jack live in jackson live in jacksonville florida uh credit to governor desantis uh rose namayunas will pay for those comments and i uh greatly look forward to it yeah for sure it was very unfortunate that, that that stuff got brought up into this fight but it is obviously a narrative that we have to touch on quickly regarding the fight but uh yeah i think rose is going to start feeling it once uh wiley starts to come at her and what can wiley really do right she's in a very fucked up situation how is she supposed to defend herself and also go out go about a cat at the other way right so very very unfortunate there all right let's move on to the main event here the rematch that nobody was calling for but we're getting it nonetheless jorge masvidal gets a second crack at kamar usman just less than a year than he, the first time that he did they fought way back at ufc 251 in july of last year one of the first fights all over there on fight island apparently took the fight on six days notice wasn't super ready still managed to make the weight um and just you know has a decent first round one judge scores the first round for him the other two actually give it to kamaru and then it's just one way traffic for the rest of the fight now it wasn't the most fun fight it wasn't the most competitive fight we saw kamaru usman go out there and uh, do what kamaru usman needs to do to get wins and that's slow it down bring it down to his pace you know push guys up against the cage you know he brought a new tool to the to the fight which was foot stops not something we've been seeing from him uh earlier but like whatever he needs to do to stay effective and stay active enough that the referee doesn't push him off the cage you know do do you man uh but kamar usman is just such a crazy crazy talent right like the guy is just so good the two foundations that you need to be such a successful mma fighter is cardio and wrestling and he has that in spades there's not really many guys that can go out there and uh, test him in that aspect other than colby covington who i believe is his only real challenge right it was one one uh pretty much one judge had colby going into the fifth one judge had usman going into the fifth and one judge had a tide going into the fifth and there was usman's perseverance that uh, that goes through there and he ends up getting the finish there so big win for him there and again i truly think that's the only real competition he has this masvidal fight though ah it's it, it doesn't give you much right masvidal has what seven minutes to get it done is this power really going to translate into rounds three four and five is he really going to you know out grapple kamar usman none of that's going to happen man i think kamar usman has this legacy thing going on uh he's going to go down as one of the greatest welterweights of all time and it pains me to say that especially as a george st pierre guy but kamar usman has all the tools to go out there as long as he keeps turning away these contenders it's going to be hard to uh to 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 dismiss that so I, I think we see another 
boring fight from Kamaru Usman as, as much as that hurts to say. But don't expect a Colby Covington barn burner. Don't expect a you know Gilbert Burns type of showing here from Kamaru Usman. He's not going to play with fire. He shouldn't be trained that long with uh, uh, Jorge Masvidal inside the pocket. And I think he should go out there and, and just grind this victory out. I, I'd be very surprised if Masvidal actually ends up losing via finish, as it would be the first time in 12 years since the last time he got finished was uh, with that inverted triangle choke from Toby Yamada back in Bellator. I just don't think that Kamaru will finish him, right? He is showing like he's, you know, he's leveling up. He was able to finish Gilbert Burns, but let's be honest. I've always had question marks about Gilbert Burns' cardio and then going up against a guy like Kamaru Usman, it was eventually going to catch up to him. So good win for Kamaru there. But Jorge Masvidal is a gamer, man. Game bred to a, to the bone. This guy can actually take the damage, uh, has good submission defense. So you're talking about a guy who had Damian Maia on his back for the majority of a fight and was able to survive that. And then you got, uh, you know, him fighting heavy hitters and just, you know, walking forward and not really giving too much respect respect to them. So I do like Kamaru here. I think he cruises to another decision victory. Minus 130 is the decision line. Obviously, if you don't like playing chalk or parlaying Usman, the decision is probably the best way to go here. But I do like Usman. I think he cruises once again. I don't think this fight tells us anything that we didn't already know. I don't think that there's too many people out there that believes that a six to eight week training camp for uh, Jorge Masvidal would do anything different for him. Jorge Masvidal, the last thing I'll say about this now, to push on over to Cody. Jorge Masvidal is like a guy that was almost right time, right place type of thing. But obviously he had a lot of it to do with it to get where he's at, right? You get the Darren Till fight, you get the knockout. I'll give him all the credit in the world for that. That was a great knockout. Great win for him there. The Ben Askren fight, right? I was talking to Cody this last night. If that knee was like two inches off to the right, do we get a Jorge Masvidal knockout at all? Do we get Ben Askren try humping him for 15 minutes and we never see this Jorge Masvidal explosion like we did after that fight? And then you tee him up with Nate Diaz and just fucking he beats him pillar to post for three or four rounds in that fight. And then he fights a real fighter in Kamaru Usman and comes up short. Uh, just look back at the Ben Henderson fight. Remember what Ben Henderson did to him way back in the day, back at 155 pounds? Like that is the Jorge Masvidal. Nothing has changed other than that knee that he had against uh, Ben Askren. He doesn't. He hasn't leveled up to gotten this crazy amount of godly knockout power that he's going to go and start stiffing dudes. That's not. That's not what I see happening. So I got Kamar Usman here. Got him winning by decision, uh, and hopefully he doesn't stand in the pocket too much to try to, you know, uh, you know, put his ego into play here. But uh, that will obviously be where Jorge is the most dangerous, as if this fight is in the pocket. But I'd be very surprised if Usman decides to play that game. I think he just grinds on him quickly and gets the uh, grinds on him for the full twenty-five minutes and gets a decision victory here. Cody, how are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, listen, I'm a I'm a I'm a big time Kamaru Usman kind of guy. I mean, people might say he's boring. People might say they don't like the style. They said the same thing about George St. Pierre. They also claim George St. Pierre is the greatest of all time because he is. I mean, it, there's something that has to be said for winning. You don't always have to go out and search for the knockout. It doesn't always have to be a highlight reel. It's just go out there and dominate your opponent. He knows that what he's good at. What he's good at is he's got great cardio. He's got good wrestling. He's got that grind. He's able to outlast opponents. There's no need to go out there and get into these crazy firefights. And you see, maybe he got clipped in the first fight against Masvidal. Maybe he got clipped in the Gilbert Burns fight. Like, what? Why? If the only path of losing here is to fight to your opponent's hand, why do it? Saint Pierre got caught once upon a time versus Matt Serra, but what it did was it caused him to take every fight seriously after that. But also realize that like striking is in part strike long enough to get the fight to where you're best. Win the fight for the path of least resistance. And Usman does that. Realistically, you want to talk about the best guys in the welterweight division. <clears throat> Kamaro's the champion. Number two, you got Colby Covington. Check. Beat him. Kicked his ass, right? We got Leon Edwards. Check. We got Gilbert Burns. Check. Masvidal. Check. Vincente Luque. Check. Damian Maya. Check. Been there. Done that. I want to see him fight Steven Thompson just because it's like the last style I can see yeah. him, you know, maybe struggling. 
ever so slightly against. Thompson stays on the outside, makes him work, and, and maybe outstrikes him in, in pockets. But again, it's like the Masvidal fight, he's been there, done that. He's going to throw, he's got a flying knee, he's got a right hand, he's going to try to knock you out in the first round. If he doesn't, you're going to grind on him. Now, I'll admit, Masvidal, six days notice last time, he's a terrible weight cut. This time, it looked like he was a lot better spirits, first guy to weigh in. It seems obviously clearly motivated. This would be a life-changing payday for him and you know, finally put his legacy on the map. It's all good stuff. No doubt he's going to give the best account of himself. But still, this best path to victory, he's got that first-round knockout. Go out there. And listen, this is MMA. Anybody can get a first-round knockout. It's when you don't that cream rises to the top, just like Macho Man says. Eventually, the more skillful athlete is going to get the victory. And you see that in the last time out. You know, he gets hurt maybe in the first round against Masvidal, and he just grinds him. And when he's up against the cage and he's stomping on his feet, and Masvidal can't go anywhere, and he's clearly frustrated, is, a, is, a, is eight more weeks going to change that? <laughs> Are you going to be able to get off the cage now? Like, I don't know. Maybe the cardio is better, but ultimately it's like the inability to get the fight where you want it, which was in the open field, is going to be a problem. And people keep talking about Usman like he can't strike. He's a good striker. That jab, nasty, long, rangy, huge reach on the guy, super accurate, busts you up. You know, you say he's got no power. He broke Colby's jaw, absolutely pulverized him. Colby's really arguably never really been the same since. I mean, he's had a long time off since then just because of the amount of, a damage that he accrued, and then he drops Gilbert Burns with a stiff jab, you know, busts him up, puts him out. The guy does have power. Again, it comes back to the St. Pierre logic. George St. Pierre, once upon a time, deaded Jay Herod. Does that make him a great striker all of a sudden? No, it's a sick knockout. Don't get me wrong, you know, uh, but but it's like you can strike, sure, but get the fight to where you fight best. That's in the clinch. It's up against the cage. That's securing these takedowns, so. Usman, the uh, name of the game, hasn't really changed. Now, as far as Usman winning, it's by decision. You know, minus 130, that's the angle I'm going for. If Mazadal's going to win, it figures to be inside the distance. But as much as Usman can you know, have that smothering top game and this and that and has some you know, underrated power and all those variables, like George is cast iron, man. Like He doesn't get submitted quietly unless you got a Toby Amata inverted triangle choke up his sleeve. And uh, what, Rodrigo Daniel only got to knock him out? He's been dropped a pile of times. You know, Darren Till dropped him in their fight. Uh, Rustam Habilov hit him with that spinning wheel kick way back in the day. But it's like he, he goes down. Oh, even Michael Chiesa dropped him with a shot, right? He, he goes down and he just gets right back up. You know, it's like street fighter mode. Like as soon as he gets back up, it's like zombie George, and then he's a problem. But uh, he, he, ultimately, he is a journeyman. I, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all. I mean, he's a 50-fight pro veteran. He's got, what, 14 pro losses on his record. He's lost to a lot of guys that most casual fans have never heard of. He's had this shining moment, a viral video flying knockout over Ben Askren. But that's overachieving. And we talked about Anthony Smith earlier in the show. Like, you get a couple knockouts over the right level opponents, and then you're just thrusted into a title fight situation. And that's what he did the first time. I didn't think he was the next best guy in the world. And lastly, like, I, I always hated Tyron Woodley. And it wasn't like anything against his character as much as it was he just never wanted to fight the top guy. It'd be like, dude, you know, why don't you fight your number one challenger? And he'd be like, I want to fight Nate Diaz. Like, what do you mean you want to fight Nate Diaz? He's a fucking lightweight. You're the welterweight champion of the world. Like, and he's on a bad run right now. Like, why would you want to fight? I want to fight Conor McGregor? Why do you want to fight Conor? He's a featherweight. Like, my campaign at 55. Like, this is not the fight for you. And then he'd be like, Well, then I'm not. Well, then I'm not fighting. Well, then I'm not fighting. Okay, I'll fight 40 year old Damian Maya. It's like, dude, I, I hated that. It showed it was like you want the money fight. You want you want the big profile fight, but you didn't want to fight fight. When you look at Masvidal, he's doing the same thing. Colby's like, dude, let's fight. He's like, yeah, we'll fight when I say so. It's like, no, nah, you don't want to fight him, dude. You remember those practices in the wrestling room in ATT. You remember him grinding you just like Usman's going to do. And you realize that your stock is going to plummet to the casual fan if you get grinded and beat up by Colby Covington. 
So you avoid it. You don't want that fight. Fair enough. But he doesn't. He, he wants a BMF fight. He wants to rematch Nate Diaz again. You know, he wants he wants he wants to fight Conor McGregor. He wants to have his own bare knuckle boxing promotion. He wants to show up in a Gucci robe at the cage side and talk all types of nonsense. Like, yeah, he's a different George than that hungry guy that got him to the big dance. So, yeah, I just got to think Usman prevails here. Usman, Usman by decision. All right, we got over 367 people in the live chat. I'm glad that you guys know that 9 p.m. Eastern on UFC Fight Weeks on Friday nights, this is the spot to get your last thoughts out for the upcoming card. Dan, I think most people are excited to know what your dog thinks about this fucking fight and if he's going with his fellow dog, Jorge Masvidal. What are your thoughts on this main event, brother? You know you know, he's going for game bread. Man, my boy <laughs> Cody was uh, hurling the insults at a legend, man. I mean, I think uh, you got to show a guy like game bread a little more respect. I mean, I remember being in college at my girlfriend's apartment watching Jorge Masvidal fight Paul Daly on some shit. And he got bootleg. robbed. And he got robbed. Shark fights. Yeah. On Shark fights 13, I want to say. Shitty bootleg stream on shark fights. I remember watching him beat the shit out of KJ Noons and Strike Force. I remember him knocking out Eves Edwards, and it was such a big deal. And you know, for him to get to the oh, position no. he's in, I mean, you're talking about him avoiding Colby, but I mean, he's fighting Kamaru. Isn't Kamaru the guy that knocked out? Isn't Kamaru the toughest fight in the division? So isn't that the last two fights he's taken? So, I mean, it's not like he's ducking hard fights. He's fighting the toughest motherfucker in the, arguably in the history of the division. I'll, so I'll, I don't I'll, really I'll see what the you, issue is. Right. Well, I'll tell you the difference, right? The difference is Kamaru's got the belt. So you're fighting this guy. You're going to be on a pay-per-view. You're on the pay-per-view. You're trying to get some pay-per-view points. You're going to make a big payday out of this. If you lose to Kamaru, it does nothing. Who cares? Who cares that you lost to the greatest fighter? Who cares that you lost to a guy of that caliber? It doesn't do anything for you. Your stock doesn't diminish. You lose to Colby. First of all, he's hated. Your payday drops. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not the look. You want to take that big money fight against Kamaru Uzman. There's no downside to it. You go out there and you fight Colby Covington. And now to flip side to that, Kamaru Uzman should be the guy looking for the money fight. He should be the guy looking for Conor McGregor. He should be looking for some super fight. No, instead he fights his own jiu-jitsu coach, Gilbert Burns, just to stay busy. Just to stay busy. Fights it on the worst pay-per-view of the year with no co-main event, with no main card, just to fucking fight, man. Look. That's what I like to see. That's oh, yeah. George used to be that guy. George has the 50 fights. George showed up to backyards. George fought a who's who, and now George finally got paid for the first time, finally felt the money in his hands, and it changed him. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it changed him. He's fighting the toughest man on planet Earth in that weight class. And also, I mean, I want to say this. Like, you talk about, you know, these guys wanting money fights. I don't know. You've been hearing Uzman's last few interviews talking about how I only got a couple fights left. I'm trying to fight Jorge, and then I'm trying to fight Nate Diaz. So, I mean, I don't blame anybody for wanting to get paid, man. This is this is, this is is called prize fighting. You're supposed to make the most amount of money possible. Yeah, is Colby a bad matchup for him? Sure. But, like, why, like, why are we going to take less money um fighting him and instead of going to fight the champ and i mean dude this just it just makes so much business sense for him and as far as the skills look when they fought last time i thought the first like three minutes uh, of the first round jorge pretty did pretty decent on six day notice look i get it's a built-in excuse but he looked in much better shape this time. I think he'll have a little bit more gas this time. I think maybe this time he can win the first round, maybe do well in, into the second round. The issue with Jorge Masvidal throughout his career has been this. You never, uh, you know, you never criticize Jorge Masvidal's chin or, you know, or his 
I think his takedown defense is pretty good. You don't criticize his hands or anything like that. When you criticize with Jorge Masvidal, you know, you remember the famous quote of, that he made up um, that Jorge Masvidal gets robbed more than a 7-Eleven. Jorge Masvidal gets up to these leads in this in these fights, and then he coasts. The only time he's truly been dominated in the UFC, Kamaru Usman and uh, Steven Wonderboy. Aside from that, every other fight's been like a close, con- like split decision. Like the Benson fight you you brought up was a split. The Rustam Habila fight could have gone either way. The Lorenz Larkin fight was a split. Like all these fights, he's in the Ally Akinta fight was a split. Like all these fights, he's in these fights and then he coasts. And coasting against a guy like Kamaru Usman is the recipe for getting outworked in a way where there's no way you can win the decision. Because like, He's the like you take your foot off the gas against a guy like Kamaru Usman with his work rate, and it's just bad news. So look, I definitely think Jorge is going to come out better this fight, and I think that he's going to show. You know, he did pretty good those first three minutes, just kind of fatigued. But it's not like he was out there getting dropped with jabs like Gilbert Burns. It's not like he was getting his jaw broken like uh, Colby Covington. He still made it the full five round distance on six day notice. So I expect a better showing, and also. The line is twice what it was last time. It was like minus two thirty last time. It was like minus four, uh, you know, fifty four, four sixty this time. So, um, it's I don't know, man. I mean, it's like to me on one hand, I understand Masvidal giving him the shot because like this is a big money fight. Jorge is a superstar. Uh, uh, Kamara's publicly stated that hey, my body's falling apart. These are my last few fights. Let me stack up these paychecks. I completely respect that. This is prize fighting. But on the other hand. Why give a guy that you already dominated another chance to beat you? Because, you know, when we start talking about the whole what uh, what happens if they fight 10 times, well, how many of those times is Jorge going to win? Like, what if Jorge comes out here, knocks out Usman? Now we're looking at a trilogy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I got to go with Usman at the end of the day, but um, I, I think that this one might be a little tougher than the first one. Yeah, we should definitely see a better version of the Masvidal this time around, but it's hard to really go against a guy like Guzman who's been looking as good as he is. And like I reiterated at the beginning here, the the cardio and the pace and the and the wrestling is just unmatchable at this point in time. Brett, uh, we're talking about a guy here in just as his last five fights small. Let's talk about his DK points: 104 points against Gilbert Burns. 156 points against Jorge Masvidal, 130 points against Colby Covington, 168 points against Tyron Woodley, and then 194 points against Rafael Dos Anjos. This guy seems like a dream for DraftKings players. Do you think he follows through once again, right? Like the last time he fought Jorge Masvidal, he put up uh, 156 points because he just controlled him for 16 and a half minutes of that fight. Uh, Have you seen this from a betting perspective? And then obviously give us that DFS fire for us. Yeah, I love me some Usman, and he definitely scores well on DraftKings. I think he's going to be the uh, most popular fighter on the entire slate. And he, I mean, you read them off, but he knocked out Burns in round three, only scored 104. He knocked out Covington in round five, scored 130. Yet in his most boring decision, he scored 156 against Masvidal, and that's because he grappled and he controlled him against the cage and clinched, and that's what scores well on DraftKings. So he's a very obvious play. He's a very strong play. And he's going to be very popular. And from a betting perspective, I like him as well. It's just because of the style of the matchup. You guys both brought up good points about, you know, money fights and not. I think Usman is one of, if not the very best pound for pound fighter in the sport today. And I think Colby is right up there with him to the point that I I picked Colby to beat him the first time, partially because of the bit, partially because I thought it was going to be a close fight. And I might pick Colby to beat Usman the second time. He can win rounds against Usman. He can fight a hard 25 minutes. He can wrestle. 
Masvidal doesn't have that same style. And you can tell because Usman has fought other opponents like Burns and Colby and didn't want to grapple with them. And he, when he fought Masvidal, he was very uh, willing to grapple and to clinch. And I love that meme where it's Masvidal, or sorry, where it's Usman and Nganu and Adesanya. And it's just a picture of them talking on the red carpet and they throw in like, Usman saying, and then I stomped that motherfucker's foot 200 times. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. He, he loves, I mean, he's just so good at it. It's just such yeah. a, it's boring, but it's like, there's no training camp in the world that's going to mean that Masvidal is now a better control fighter than Usman. He's not now a better wrestler than Usman. He doesn't, I don't think he has better cardio than Usman. He's not a better uh, clinch fighter. So, it's going to be very difficult for Masvidal to win this fight at any other range than, you know, at, at distance on the feet. And he fought at a pretty strong pace in that first fight. And he looked good, like Dan said, for three minutes. And then he gassed out and didn't do much for the rounds two through five. So is it possible that he looks better in this matchup at range for more than three minutes? Yes. It, do I think it's going to be for 25 minutes? No. And I, I still think it partially comes down to how Usman fights. If Usman chooses to strike with him at range, he is opening up a can of worms. He is allowing Mazadal an opportunity to win. I don't think he'll do that. And he's, you know, with Trevor Whitman, I would expect them to come in with a, a good game plan. And they just fought. They he, He's giving this fight to Mazadal because he knows it's the easiest of the, the the top contenders. There's a reason why Masvidal doesn't want to fight Colby. There's a reason why Usman doesn't want to fight Colby. And um, I just think Masvidal has to win this fight by knockout. He has to win this fight with damage. It's very likely to happen in round one or round two. And that doesn't give him a great win condition. I, I think it's possible that Usman gets knocked out before his career is over. I wouldn't be surprised if he lost, but... Usman should be an overwhelming favorite in this matchup just because he's a much, much better round winner. Um, and basically Masvidal is live in this fight because, you know, it's a these are two 170 pound dudes that might be throwing hammers at each other. And unlike Andrade, who might really just have to outwork Shevchenko for 25 minutes. Yeah. Maybe Masvidal just goes out there and hurts him. Burns hurt Usman early. So it's definitely possible. I'm not counting Masvidal out. But he's a big underdog here, and I just think Usman has the overwhelming skills and is going to take this fight, like you guys said, probably by decision. All right, we got Usman all around here. We did try to make some good points for Jorge Masvidal, but at the end of the day, it's hard to really put that money on him considering how complete of a fighter that Kamaru Usman is. I apologize to everybody that I'm not able to put up my sexy graphics for you guys to show you guys everybody's picks this time around. I was a little bit delayed as you guys I can obviously tell we took about 20 minutes to get this thing started at the start of the show so let's we're just past midnight on the east coast here i know my guy dan and, and cody are hurting here so let's just throw it around the horn everybody can get their uh, their piece in in terms of where people can find you what your content is what your website is twitter all that shit cody i'll start off with you where can everybody find you my guy yeah always on twitter at cj saftic and yeah it doesn't matter what time it is man i had a really good time chatting with everybody tonight and uh, I know with Levy, fuck, man, we used to do shows back in the day, too. And I guess life gets in the way. There's so many shows going on now that it was really due to reconnect. And, and Brett, I mean, like we talked about before the show started, man, been following your stuff for a long time. I know we've 
kind of always been in contact on terms of Twitter, but we never really jumped on a show and, and been able to exchange thoughts. So I'm liking it. It seems like we were really much on the same page today. Um, Daniel Levy's favorite fighter apparently is George Mazadal, who we still <laughs> think is going to lose. All, all, all jokes aside, man, it's going to be sick fight. And I agree. Usman's going to get knocked out at some point. Is it going to be Saturday? I don't think it's this Saturday. It'll happen eventually. Just don't think it's going to happen this Saturday. But yeah, we got three title fights, a nice looking pay per view, some fun prelims. Uh, if you anybody hit this Anthony Pettis pick, I'm riding high off that still. <laughs> but good, good way to spend a Friday night. That uh, let's just keep the vibes going. So, uh, Manpreet, my friend, as always, thanks for having me on. Thanks for providing the platform for all of us to get together and to everybody that that showed up in the live chat tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let's cash some tickets tomorrow. For sure. One of the goals that I had with bringing this ultimate way in show to, to life was to bring guys like you together, man. We don't get enough of this where we, guy, we get guys collaborating and going on the same shows together and giving their takes and having some debates back and forth. So I was so happy that you guys all agreed to come on at the same time here. And fuck, we, I think we did a really good show closing on that three-hour mark, but well, we still fucking killed it, man. I think a lot of people enjoyed it. Dan, where can everybody find you? Let them know about your work. Well, firstly, obviously, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, been great to see what you've been doing, my man. So keep it up. Uh, this was probably the first like three hour podcast I've ever done, <laughs> but I had a blast. And if the fans enjoyed it and the fans liked it, then maybe uh, we can do it again. I mean, Cody Sastic and I go way back. Uh, Brett Apley is a close friend of mine. So, you know, I got love for all you guys. I want to see all y'all do well. Everybody can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Uh, my show is called Half the Battle, and I've been working with this app called Press Sports. Make sure you download them um, in the App Store. And basically what it is is you discover brand new talent in every single sport, and you can upload your content and highlights. It's just badass. Press Sports. Uh, check it out. Half the battle, one of the OG shows, just like Dogger Pass or Bookie Beatdown with Cody Safdick. So we truly got some OGs in the game right here. Brett Apley, uh, uh, an OG of the DraftKings and DFS world as well, playing when there's like 10 people fucking vying for 100 bucks or some shit on DraftKings back in the day. Brett, let them know where they can find you, my guy. Yeah, well, just like these guys said, I mean, thanks for having me on. I had a blast as well. I had three hours, but uh, time went by pretty quickly on my end. And I was following the, the chat for most of it. And I mean, man, you got a lot of hardcore followers in here. Just it's really cool to see that many people watching this live. And I hope they found some value on it. Obviously, Dan and I have done a ton of podcasts together, but I have never done one with Cody. I've been really looking forward to it. So I'm glad you were able to bring us both on. Cody, it was good to chat with you. And I've only, I've obviously only done the one show with you too, Locke. So yeah. Um, it's really good to, you know, there's just so many good guys in this industry and it's been unfortunate that I haven't been able to do more shows with you up until now, but I really appreciate you bringing me on and pleasure to talk fights. I think it's going to be a great event. Really looking forward to it. You can follow me on Twitter, Brett Apley, double T double P, you know, the drill daily fan MMA.com for all your DraftKings breakdowns needs, etc. Other than that, um, thanks guys. And, uh, looking forward to the fights tomorrow. All right, you guys are watching this on my channel, MMALOT, and that's obviously where you guys can follow me pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, and then the YouTubes. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us on this Friday evening. You guys you know you can find us here every uh, nine, every Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, and then on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, me and Cody do the Prop and Up show here. So hopefully we we'll see you guys back next week. A shout-out to 350 live viewers. Hit that like on the way out of here, and uh, shout-out to once again to all my guests, all the live viewers. Good luck on your fights or bets this weekend, and hopefully we can cash some tickets war kamaru usman baby let's go